everyone and welcome to the Comics Fondle Podcast. My name is Andrew, my site is comicsfondle.com. And my name is Vernon and my store is the Comics Gallery in Wilmette, Illinois. And uh, this is our podcast where we used to talk once a month at least and now we're we're uh, five months late. So well, it'll be a special, special double-sized anniversary podcast or something. It, yeah. It's perfect for the summer because we are talking, we are going into uh, summer events and we're going to talk about those. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, you know, but anyway, Andrew and I have been communicating back and forth and he was talking about something. You know, I still didn't read Captain America 1 yet. I meant to do that today and I still didn't do that. <laughs> So what is it about Captain America 1 that has thrown gasoline across the internet and set it on fire? So in uh, in Captain America 1, they reveal uh, that Cap is a Hydra agent and has always been a Hydra agent since childhood. <sighs> and so I, I, I haven't read it either. I... Why the hell would we read Captain America comic, really? I mean, it's... Well, it's 2016. Like, Chris Samney drew it. Maybe we'd read it. I'd read a Captain America. Yeah. Oh, yeah. can you imagine Chris Samney doing, like, Captain America and the Falcon? And, like, oh, it'd be great. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so Cap's a Hydra agent. I didn't see that until after I read some obnoxious quote from Tom Brevoort. Um Along the lines of, this is this isn't an alternate universe. This isn't you know an imaginary story. It's not. It's not a life model decoy. You know we're gonna we're gonna play out this storyline. And so, yeah, a lot of people got upset, and then, uh, it's Nick Spencer writing it. Um, yeah, he got death threats. And you know, we're making Captain America uh, a Hydra agent. Uh-huh. I mean, it's the first chapter of it issue is. one, and it's the cliffhanger ending. So I'm like, get over it, you know? Here's <laughs> the thing, though. Yes, there's that. And that's this is basically on the level. I mean, it's just a summer shocker. It's it's a... Uh, it's secret invasion uh, or something, you know, it's mockingbird coming by. It's like if, if Bendis got the reaction he had wanted. Yeah. But that's not the only people who care anymore. Who cares? Exactly. Who does care about Captain America now? I hope he is a Nazi. What about people who aren't comic book fans? What about people who came to the character from uh, two. <laughs> uh, the movies, the cartoon, just well, the brand in general? These well, are people who don't really care. No. They don't <laughs> care. They're not invested enough in the comic to wait out the series. They're invested in the brand. It's, and if you you scarred the brand, if you scarred the brand, then and, they get involved. And, right, and so what, once people feel possessive about a brand, they don't like that. And Captain America is now, you know, 
Captain America is certainly more visible than Superman. Captain America is more visible than, you know, for many, he's more visible than Wolverine. Nobody saw that coming. He's more visible than the Fantastic Four. He's a very visible um, Marvel character, and he, he represents a certain amount of ideals. And, and as usual, they pushed him to the forefront of the Avengers. I mean, he's got the spotlight position. <clears throat> so all the, there's all these people, and it tends to be, um, it tends to be women. It tends to be um, queer people. It tends to be people of color who are just kind of like it's not really a funny place to go. And then every then the initial response, and I'm sure this, you know took a second before it just turned into a tidal wave was, well, you've got to wait it out and see. That's how you read comics. Right. And then, yeah, the, but the know, thing is, that's not the point. Those people aren't reading comics. They're not invested in the comics. They're right. not invested in the hobby. They're invested in the brand. And they get pissed off just at the mere mention of Captain America possibly being a Nazi all these years. And... No, I don't. They get pissed off at Marvel. It's it's. Yeah. I'm surprised Disney didn't realize there'd be. It's like the kind of thing that doesn't have enough market research, because you don't. There was this guy on Twitter, this gay guy on Twitter, talking about like growing up with superhero comics, and he's like. And the secret identity, or like, you know, the, the one that nobody knows about is really the amazing one, and your bland one is your bland one. And so, you know, it's just empowering and stuff. And like, yeah, I don't I don't get that. But are we, re like, it's 2016. Are we really going to go after people for feeling that? Like, are we really going to crap on people who don't like... And so the thing is, is it's like this bigger conversation about, well, Disney invited it. Marvel invited this. They didn't right. make Captain America for, you know, limited audiences. They can do this with the Punisher. He's only on freaking Netflix, right? Like, Right. Yeah, but he's, he's, big, he's pretty big, too. He's getting, right. So, I mean, like, that's the problem is, is they're way too popular. And the thing is, is that I, the movies get that. You watch the movies – you get no, there's nothing in those movies that can possibly upset you no. with the way those characters act. Not a thing. Well, because, maybe Scarlett uh, Johansson going after the Hulk, but other than that. Even that, they handled a lot better than I thought they would. And I thought, I mean, they had, it was stupid, but they didn't, you know, it was, it was just lame. It wasn't even, it wasn't sexy. Ugh. Anyway. Anyway. But, <laughs> But we digress. We digress. So, I mean, the thing is, it's so what you have is you have a bunch of people who aren't in the comic. They, they don't go to Newsarama. Let's just say it. You know, they've never <laughs> been to Newsarama. But they have comic book websites. And they talk about these things. And they have Tumblrs and things like that. And, and a lot of things they don't realize, too, is that guys like Tom Brevoort and all them do publicity just to get you to read the comics. And I mean, they're lying through their teeth if they think this is a big event or you should, you know, uh, don't miss this band. Their idea is to sell more comics. Their idea is to sell more comics. And that was what, um, yeah, this actually got me so upset because I don't follow a lot of comics people on Twitter. I follow a lot of people who 
were upset. And so I'm like reading all this stuff. I'm just like, nobody's actually reading this. Like nobody's actually reading what these people are saying and why they're upset. And it was just like a general mood with a bunch of just movie fans because Captain America, they don't, I mean, and the problem is, is that if you do know, it just makes it worse, right? Like, okay, Cap's a white supremacist, so let's, and it's a retcon, so let's think about the Falcon. Let's think about true, I mean, like, you don't, like, Tom Brevoort encouraging you to do this just makes it worse. And then somebody got out a panel that Kirby drew, uh, and so there's this... One approach, I'd say the fan, the negative fan reaction talks about it uh, in regards to Kirby and Stan Lee being Jewish and they're doing this. And I'm, I'm sure Stan Lee's released a statement supporting it because, you know, like I say, you know, when you lie to the Supreme Court to screw Jack Kirby's heirs out of things, you know, yeah, you don't have a problem lying. You know, Stan Lee What's is a just... Feed? So it's, and then it just steamrolled into all the creators getting really nasty with people, um, being really dismissive. And it's just like, these are, I mean, first of all, they're your customers. And I mean, I think I even emailed you and I'm like, dude, like Erica Henderson's a jerk. Like I didn't realize that. Like she draws Squirrel Girl. We thought, yeah, you know. Yeah, she'd be a jerk if she draws Squirrel Girl. And, yeah, and people be- did write um, articles about that. Like this is not something to circle the wagons about. It's, you know, something to talk about. And it's just like Dan Slott. Um, and whenever Dan Slott's on fighting for an issue, you have to look at the issue because even when Dan Slott's right, he's he's like an internet troll who thinks he's... Um, well, he's, he's a mouthpiece. Yeah, it's just really weird and like... <clears throat> so... It's weird that it stirred up like such controversy, but like these are people that aren't involved with the comics, never read the story, but just heard about a Twitter feed or a news or something because that's on their you know their cycle... Uh, about Captain America being a Nazi or a member of Hydra. Now, 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 you can go back if you're a comics fan and really ask whether Hydra is a Nazism. I think that the media and the movies have made Hydras into Nazis. Now, they it's, have. It's a modern version of, of Nazi. Right. That's why they did it. In the comic books, Hydra was just some kind of megalomaniac organization. Yeah. It didn't have anything to do with Nazis. But um, it's just weird how that like builds this like uh, emotional response of people who have no common thread with the comic books, and the comic book is what maybe a quarter million copies of Captain America one or something. And like so that. now you got to think like this is the weirdest thing that of which half of which maybe might be read. <laughs> so let's put it <clears throat> hey, out. hey, we're not in the eighties, you know. Three quarters yeah. of it wasn't bagged and boarded for being. Or, I'm sorry, the early nineties. No, no, no. no, three three quarters of it nowadays is bought to achieve variants. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, these are people who don't give a shit about variants. They're people who Captain America has reached this sort of mythic status, and it, it doesn't sell comics. And that's kind of the thing is that the Marvel movies have made um, the Marvel superheroes. You know, Disney didn't waste their money on that, right? Like, you know, um, Sony wants to be part of this so much that they are, you know, they gave up some of their Spider-Man stuff just for no reason other than to, uh-huh. to be. Well, I, think, 
money. I think they lost a lot of well, money. They, you know, they lost, there was perception of money and they lost stock value because, you know, that's stupid. They released those films that the Koreans released for them, right? <laughs> so it's just gotten so big and it's like, but the thing is, is that you're, and this is what um, I was getting upset uh, about and reading a B. Clay Moore comment does not help because B. Clay Moore is, <clears throat> he's, he's, what are uh, slander laws? What's Let's let's not go there. Today. Anyway, um, leave it at that. So it's just that nobody was looking at this big enough that it they, they didn't imagine what the response was going to be about people who just generally perceive Captain America as an icon of America, right? And perhaps now with Donald Trump running for president and Bernie Sanders running for president on extreme. Mouthy extremes of their party, people feel very vocal all of a sudden because you just can't imagine anybody giving a shit really about Captain America. Oh, yeah, Captain America's a Nazi. Okay, I, 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 but the, the fervor that it's achieved. And mm-hmm. you know what? You know what Tom Beaver said? It's, it's not a joke. He really is a member of Hydra. And you know what? He, he's probably circumcised, you know, but he just, I don't know. It, it's, it's social media too. That has. A right. lot to do with it. I mean, just the, the outpouring of it. But uh, I guess I better go get those last couple of copies off the racks and uh, raise the price. See, that's the thing is I don't think this is actually going to lead to, like, all the comics um, people talking about it. Like, well, this is exactly the response Marvel wanted. Everybody's going to buy a bunch of it. And I'm like, yeah, they're not. They, they weren't going to buy it anyway. Like, they might have bought a trade someday or read it somewhere, but... You know, they're not going to take the time out to read it unless it's been proven to them that it's something they want to get involved with. Right, well. like it's not that's not their primary um, source of Captain America material. Like, well, and, who'd have guessed? Who'd have guessed that Captain America one could stir such ire in American? It, who would have thought? I mean, ten years ago, you know, let's I not forget. My, like, I think I'm on my like eighth Captain America one. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. Oh wow, about. yeah, because yeah. So I mean, like he he was never that. Does his book even sell well? Not particularly. He, right. He's not. You know, he's patriotic. You know, I mean, he's kind of Captain America is mellow. Okay, he believes in the right. We need these kind of people. There are moral guides, but do we want to read their adventures? Not particularly. You know, and what happened? I was flipping through that issue. Sharon Sharon Carter looks like she's thirty years older. Something happened to her. It almost made me want to read the comic, but not quite. Like intentionally, or just the art? Who's even doing I, the it's art? It's intentional. Well, the cover blew me away at first. I'm like, what the fuck happened to Sharon? They got them all running at each other like a Rob Liefeld pose, and she looks like she's like your mom. <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on? Oi, oi. Anyway. Anything to add on Cap? Any any more ire? Well, I mean, I, I feel like it has it has calmed down, and I think that's kind of bad. Is that it? Just like it was a flash in the pan, and nobody's going to have to really think about it. Something not, for internet people to talk about. Not even. I mean. The, that's the problem is with, you know, Twitter fueling conversation, the 24 hour news cycle applies to 
even forum buzz, but it's just like you just lose the you just lose the goodwill, and it's um, it's just the upsetting part is is more that well, as you as you described, you know, comics is this great cross section of comics fandom is this great cross section of it's representative people in America. Yeah. And the thing is, is that it's like banning people from the store, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I just don't, I mean, you know, it's, it's, well, well, the things that have changed drastically is that even though DC and Marvel, which own two thirds of comic sales, were owned by larger corporations. They never really gelled as such until the TV and the movies started taking off. And once that happened, that changed comics from being a side company to something that truly represents something that could make them a lot of money. Right. And as a result, we have a lot of mainstream product that is that is product. It's quality product, but it's still product. And and you can only read them so long and get bored with them because it's nothing new. It's soulless. You know what I mean? And, and like that's like seventy percent of their line. Right. So can and, and, and so comics have to evolve. But when you lose the big two, and I'm saying lose is my interpretation. Other people would be more positive. You, you have to change fundamentally and get momentum and get people to change their reading habits. Now, that is not a quick phenomenon. That's not going to happen as fast enough for these guys to crash and burn. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm working my tail off. Hey, read this, you know, Godzilla. Um, I'm trying a lot of things. You know, I think I'll stick to the wall, you know. But um, that could seek us into rebirth. Let's do that. That was on our list, right? I'm not going to rant about Rebirth. There's been a lot said. But it's been my number one question from customers. Vern, Rebirth, is it any good? And I go, it's a good bridge. And what it has to do is get those lapsed readers, like just before 52 started, and their current audience, and have them get introduced to concepts differently. Okay? And it works that way as a, a device. Okay? I'm not going to say it tells any great story. Uh, possibly one of the most positive aspects is that I've heard that it might be Jeff Jones' last written comic. So that's a big plus right there. He's, he's past his prime. We can let him go to creative films, I think, now. And for two ninety nine for 66 pages, drawn by four or five of DC's best artists, it is that. It is a really nice piece of product, okay? And it is economically priced. So go blow three bucks on it because I hear the reprint's going for six bucks. Okay, they're going to charge five ninety nine and make it square bound. Hoo ha! Don't buy that piece of kids. The dealer's lying to you if he says he doesn't have copies left over. Um, but it works on that for me. I I, I could be you, know, you could say I'm a biased guy because I'm a comics retailer, but I felt that it worked linking the two concepts up. Now, it does have one major flaw, and you might have read about that, and that's the introduction of Ellen Moore's Watchmen into the DC Universe. Personally, if they let it drop on this special, I'm cool with that. Don't mention it again. Don't want to hear about it. I'm good. <laughs> if that was a magical event that got all these guys to write good books and got DC on an editorial 
basis that made them a better comics company, you could have God himself make the comics. I'm cool with that. Just don't bring the Watchmen into the DC universe, which I think they're going to because they're trying to get something out of them. You know what I mean? <sighs> but anyway, for two ninety nine, I say buy it. It's good bathroom reading at the very least. But I, I enjoyed it. It was a good bridge, and it's quality product. All right. All right. You got to talk a bit because I'm dry. I got to open up another beer. Uh, okay, so I guess we're going to get started with our actual comic talk. Yes, everybody's listened to us diatribe long enough. Sorry about that, kids. And we're going to start with Manifest Destiny. Manifest Destiny! Which is back after six months or so? At least. I think they have paying gigs or something. I don't know. (sighs) One would hope the artist would get some paying gigs, but it's hard to imagine him doing anything at Marvel or DC. And not him. Who is that? What's his name? Uh, Dingus, right? No, Roberts. Dingus writes Robert Ross. Yeah. So, so it's, it's back. It's uh, back. Let me think about. Oh, they do the whole thing where there's like a trick, uh, or there's a flashback, and yeah, I was we're doing Sasquatch now. Well, I don't have a problem with Sasquatch. But the flashback thing threw me, and I only had a chance to read the issue once. I didn't get to read mm-hmm. it twice, which might have made it easier. And I was going to ask you if it made any more sense to you. Okay, so you're not the I'm not the only one that's confused. No, it's it's just kind of weird. It's like this is a book that's never had good momentum. You know, it's never the thing you like about one issue is never the thing. If you like something in the next issue, it's never the same thing. It's always the concepts they come up with. Yeah, yeah. so it's a very, it's a very, uh, I guess, disjointed would be. Disjointed momentum, yeah. Yeah, that'd be the the 50 cent phrase. So I just felt like them doing Sasquatch was kind of like, hey, you know, pay attention. We've got this property you could maybe buy. We have Sasquatch. Everybody's heard of Sasquatch. Uh And it's like... Well, to be fair, they've heard a lot of the characters that are in this book. They have, but yeah, right. They've heard of uh, Sacagawea, the worst, the most... I I don't understand. one of our builds soon. Leave her alone. She has nothing to do in that comic book. That's rough. She's the coolest thing in there. And they told us she's the coolest thing in there. And then it's just like she gets nothing to do. Ever. And, and you know, this is the issue after last issue. So did she have the papoose? Or did he disappear like, 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 uh, what's his name's babies in Spider-Man he had with Gwen? <sighs> There's Harry like Gosling. a thing toward the end where they're like, hey, Sacagawea is going to be mad. And her like head is in the frame and that's it. And it's just yeah, like. I know. Yeah, they don't, they don't really exploit her enough. She's the most. Well, I mean, they, and. The first was it the first issue that ends with Sacagawea like on the page kicking ass like a full page spread. So they've been promising this since the first issue, and they're not even like teasing it anymore. They at least teased it a bit. But who now, is, who is Sean Mankiewicz? Have you ever heard of him? He's an image ed- editor. He's a Skybound he's a- editor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's something he should be on top of, right? Well, I mean, think about it. Think about the Skybound books. It's this, it's um, Nailbiter, I think, 
and that it's exactly. um, that other Williamson fantasy one um, with the the kid oh, Conan. No, not what? Bridgeport, yeah. So, I mean, these are all really competent books, but, yeah, they all lack an editor who's, I don't Thank know. Like, yeah. 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 Huh. I'm, that's it. I mean, that's the, the biggest problem with Manifest Destiny is that somebody who's objective reading it could say, listen, guys, you need to give me some more oomph and focus on certain elements and not be so detailed by little moments, you know, they get in, hey, look, I just decise, dissected another monster, should we have for dinner? Stuff, I don't really care at this point. Hey, I'm on fire. Uh, but it, it, it's a tough read because it just came back after, what, six months. So yeah. you, know, you want it to be good, and the artwork is certainly gorgeous. But there's still something lacking that makes you want to keep pounding away on this. You know what I mean? An editor, for one thing. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Like, you can have Train Called Love Baby because it's your puppy. Oh, my God. This I is keep selling the... out of it before I, I get all the two copies and sell them out. <sighs> this is the best. This is. Okay. <sighs> Hang on. I got a little yeah, cat. Beat the cat. Beat the cat, yeah. Go! Out of here. So, Train Called Love, uh, which I think we just started talking about back before our extended hiatus or whatever, is a Garth Ennis action comedy with gross-out humor. And it's just this great, and you're just reading it, you're trying to figure out what the hell this is, because it's got a very, um, the artist Mark Dos Santos is very cartoon-influenced, and that's not something you see from Ennis in this type of story, and it's just, it, there's so much energy, it's just a lot of fun, and it's just really smart writing from Ennis. And I don't I believe th- I ever saw an Ennis story that looked like an animated cartoon before. It's just so weird. You get, it's like it's like if Friends were crude and violent or something. I mean, it's just yeah. It's it's an ensemble comedy with deadly, nasty characters. Yeah. Some, are, some are bad, and you know, like you. I think was it in your review you talked about it as a possible script of some sort for yeah. either movie development that he's adapted to comic books. Yeah, it certainly is textured enough to be a two-hour-plus movie. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean that's almost what I feel like it's got to be. But it's just so weird. It's like there was no fanfare to its release. I don't think I ever. This is Dynamite as a publisher. You understand? And that's the other thing is Dynamite actually put this out, which means that this must have been an agreement. Ennis agreed to do something for them, and they this was the payback for Shadow. That's possible. But more power to him for putting it out. I mean, well, you know, Ellis—they put out Ellis, Warren Ellis too. I mean, once in a while they'll catch a guy and they'll make some kind of secret, you know, arrangement with dead goats or something. I don't know. All right. But train called love. Uh, you know, how's it been going in the later issues? I mean, it's great. It's, yeah, it's, it has it's, lost its momentum. No, it's it's just. Yes, it just keeps going, and there's enough characters. There's always 
there's always enough going on that it never feels that, that it doesn't lose any momentum. It's just like he's got, um, I think he's got three or four sort of plot lines going at once and they coincide and then they break apart and they come back together. And it's just, I think I said that it, it felt like Garth Ennis seeing a Quentin Tarantino movie and going, I think I could do that. And like, yeah. this is what happened, you know? And it's like, it never got turned into a movie, which is um, very unfortunate, but hey, yeah, it's really cool. What issue are you up to now? Eight, is it? Um, let's see here. It only goes to ten. No, it goes to twelve. Twelve? Okay. And well, you're up to- I'm up to God. seven. You're up to seven. Okay. I can't. I, I'm, I just wanted to get that straightened out because I keep missing it, and I want to read it, and I may have to wait till trade at this point because uh, I want to read it as one big hunk. That's what I, yeah, I can't wait to go back to it as that. I mean, I'm yeah, just, just read this big hunking trade. Excellent. All right. Well, I guess I get to take over for 30 seconds here with a book that's out with a couple of unknowns, at least to me, because I don't get around much. Christopher Sabella, ring any bells? And the artist Robert Wilson the Fourth. Okay, now, no. Ring any bells. no, not at all. So anyway, Heartthrob is this really conventional plot about a woman who has a heart transplant, is disillusioned about her life, and the organ she receives from a guy who dies recently has also had this spirit, like, go through him, and he doesn't haunt her, but he becomes a presence in her life. And the guy is a professional thief, and so he begins to influence her in ways and talk to her and have a presence in her life, and they fall in love. And it's just a real narrative type of comic where there's some thought balloons, but there's also a lot of captions. And the art uh, complements the mood and the progression of the emotions perfectly in a narrative frequency. Have you heard of that heartthrob at all? You told it's, me to read it, and I kind of was like, eh, I'm not reading it. Eh, fuck you. Uh, we Who should put read it out? Uh, Oni. Two issues out so far. I'm pretty sure I sent you the PDFs. Maybe. Oops. All right. Yeah. All right. That, yeah, that's a good one. Anyway, it's it's what's weird about it is it's fully convincing. You get drawn into their world. I think. I think the Fleetwood Mac cover put me off. <sighs> oh, you know that's sold. I I ordered that specifically. They had the regular cover. And, you know, it was kind of ugly. Nothing against the artist who's doing the covers. But that Fleetwood Mac cover, I go, you know what? People will pick it up just for that. And I sold through my first order just on that. And I'll take it. <laughs> it's boring, I admit. But the book is good. <laughs> All right. So next, uh, are you? No, you get velvet. You're good at it. And I'll ask questions because we both read it, I think. Hold on, let me go look real quick. Oh, that velvet? Oh, the latest one, uh, where she kind of collides with reality in the form of... Oh, no, that's the latest one is the Nixon one? Oh, God. So... Andrew, you expressed my sentiments perfectly. I mean, I I kind of love the strip, but, man, it's almost like a fucking train wreck there, wasn't it? I don't know. What the hell was he thinking? Like... 
tears you right out of the plot when Richard <sighs> ass falls in there, you know, and she's kidnapping him. And I'm like, why the fuck is she kidnapping Richard Nixon? I go, this makes no sense at all. Everything I, was realistic, and I could believe into it until that point. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the thing is that <sighs> Brubaker, and we, we, I think we, we did a whole freaking episode on him at the end of the last year to we celebrate to celebrate um what what did he just finish uh, fade out fade celebrate out. the fade out um Brubaker has his excesses and Velvet we thought he could get away with this and is this book edited I don't have a copy of David it. Brothers if it is so but, but I think. If you if you're an editor at Image, all you do is email people and say, "Hey, you need to get your pages in." Yeah, make the trains run on time. <clears throat> because really, that's kind of the thing about Marvel and DC. You didn't know editors' names for a couple years. They 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 were assistant editors. Um, the thing about comics that's weird is that it is its own. Um, It's its own industry, and there are things that work in it that the format, the medium needs. If you're going to do a, co- if you're going to, Image does mainstream comic books now, right? Image would never publish Love and Rockets now. Love I, and Rockets. I, I, I think Image would publish anything between you and me. I don't think they have any. Uh, if something's good, they'll publish it. I'm just, I'm just saying that, that they are, like Skybound, for instance. These are all very media-friendly properties. And, you know, Image is on board with us getting to a point where we don't automatically um, crap on a comic for it being commercial. Well, admittedly, that's where a lot of writers are probably putting right. their effort. That's it. So, with Velvet, you get this... I mean, you know, Brubaker's enthusiastic about it, but he's never put in the work on it. Like, it's supposed to be a pulpy spy thing. Like, you can have a Nixon cameo. You can't turn Nixon into a character. It just doesn't... No, it doesn't. It's shoehorned into the plot, and it feels odd and weird and, like, two different types of chemicals that don't mix together. Right. You know, it's just like... and. (sighs) And I'd be the first one to recommend Velvet, but this is a real, like... Clunk. I don't know. It just took me out of the reality, the situation that I never quite got back in. Yeah. The momentum was squashed, and he really hurt himself. It's like sometimes a writer can really hurt themselves. And again, a good editor would have said, let's think about this. You well, know? I mean, and Epting's not the artist to do this, because Epting, Epting does a great job with the photorealism of Nixon, which isn't what you want. Like, I don't even think Sean Phillips could do this. I think of any of Brubaker's guys, it would have been Michael Lark. Yeah, Maybe could have done a Nixon cameo, but not Nixon being... Uh, a special plot thread. <sighs> yeah, yeah, like, oh, oh, really? And then, uh, I don't know, it's just... And, well, I, I don't want to. We we catch shit about giving away, you know, stuff. But I'm like, you know, I, I tell you, you know, the whole thing of like drugging him up and having him talk to you. I'm like, this is just rubbish. This is not going to this advance. Is, yeah, it's it's, just, it's not filler. It's like it's weird. Like, what made him want to bring this into this? It's not contemporary. 
it doesn't make a does it make a point? I don't know. Maybe I'll go back and reread it and and, and self flagellate myself if I'm wrong. But I'm not quite there yet. But yeah. it's, a, it's an amazing misstep. That's all I can yeah. say. Well, Donnie Red, that's a title I haven't had time for lately. So, and, uh, and you you've been keeping up with that. And I'm really I've been keeping up with it. Yeah, I mean, it's been a really good book. Um, I'm a Garth Ennis fan too. Yeah, until uh, issue seven, <laughs> latest one. Oh, okay, what happened here now? Because it, it it had a lot of momentum, and Keith Burns on the art was pretty good. I mean. It, it sort of they sort of spin through a whole episode or a whole issue, and Ennis had ended on the cliffhanger of a Hitler cameo. Turns out to be nothing. Okay, you know what I mean that. And some of the problem when you have a, a a war comic, especially a war comic where the characters are on a specific mission. You can see, and they're flying one way, and then they get there, and then they fly back, and then they fly tonight. And it's just like, so you're you're literally flying them around in circles trying to get through this issue. And he's also laying the groundwork for the reveal of the old man, and it's just kind of like... Oh, the guy that works on the planes? Yeah, and it's just... He could have he could have done the issue in three pages. Like, there's no it's filler. Uh, there's some nice art from Keith Burns, but the problem with <sighs> Keith Burns isn't his art's good, but you're there for the script. You're there for Ennis's script, and he just he just sort of treads water and pretends to swim. You know. You know, Garth Ennis is one of those professional writers that knows how to tread water for an issue. He's he like, does. Oh, yes, he does. <laughs> Dynamite. Dynamite. No, these are Titan. This is English stuff. Oh, so um, they're actually paying him, though. You know that they're actually paying yeah. him. We, he's been spreading the wealth among a, a number of publishers. I think that's way, the way he's been able to write about what he likes. Mm-hmm. He writes for four different publishers or something like that, you know. So it works out for him, and that's cool. You yeah, know, back, you get by, you're good to go. You know. Well, Johnny Red's an interesting book. Now, what is that? Is that one more issue? One more issue, which is concerning. But who knows? Maybe it'll read better in the trade. I mean, that's kind of the thing. Is he's writing them for it? And, you know, whether he is or he isn't, he's thinking about I mean, with a limited series these days. You are thinking about them being read in one sitting. That's that's a relatively new thing to comic books like you didn't worry about that shit when you were writing a four issue limited series in the 80s because you're like well whoever the fuck tracks this down in some (laughs) quarter bin they don't actually give a shit like that's not what it's like anymore you know like or or those six to eight page stories from the silver age (laughs) (sighs) yeah let's read 30 of those all together and see what happens to our brains I got this, the, the DC best stories of the 50s. It, oh. is, a good one. it is a wicked one. Oh, right. my God. All right. right. Turncoat. That's Turncoat. on you. That's one I've been pushing at the shop. Now, it has its flaws, but it's a really interesting science fiction story about what happens after aliens who have inhabited and subjugated the Earth for 200 years decide to just get up, give up the battle and leave. And what happens to a group of law enforcement officers and they're 
social and political ties and how that changes things for them. Now, uh, these are a couple of names I'm having a hard time pronouncing. The writer, Pat Natal, and then Trakinoff for the artist. I, 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 I suspect they're European. I, I don't know. I haven't done my homework. I'm sorry. I, I don't get paid for this, so I don't <laughs> go on YouTube looking for But videos. here, hold on, everybody. Let me just interrupt Vernon to point out that, what, nine years ago when uh, – the hell was that one comic book company radical okay yeah was hiring all those foreign people and everybody was dismissive of it because they weren't american creators yeah we're not there anymore like no, these are this strictly a foreign made thing that's... anybody can do generally okay comics is what we're yeah. we've gotten to that point and so it it, it just makes you know good point Right, right. You were accused of like, yeah. and now it's know. okay. Oh, these guys are good. We have to read them. It right, doesn't... like that's this is a good thing. All these people coming into this are a good thing. Right. It doesn't matter if they're from Estonia and have a good story to tell. We're right. Long... It doesn't matter if they're just an artist for hire anymore. We've gotten past that point. I don't know. Right. If... I'll ever change my mind on, you know, some of the things that happened 10 years ago where you're just like, oh, you know, if they just had an artist who cared. Yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, 15 years of Marvel and DC. But I'm done. I'm off the soapbox. Continue, Vern. Well, I'll continue just slightly. It's now that they own their own properties, they put a lot of work into these things now. I mean, it's not just work for hire. For a lot of them, they put their heart and soul in something they think they can sell as a media property. Right. And these guys, if you know, there's some problems with the story, and it may be the translation. I don't know. Somebody, Alex, Alex Pack, Packnadel, I don't know if he could he could come from Minnesota for all I know, um, and hired a foreign artist. Now here, this is the artist name, Art Yom, A R T Y O M, Art Yom, Trakhanov, and that's a very unusual name. I I don't think he's from Minnesota. But uh, it's a really nice, beautifully, organically told story. And uh, it has its problems narratively because I'm not sure if uh, it's all conveyed in a clear thing. But it, it comes across enough where I can follow it. And this guy's artwork is just just, just, just outrageous, man. Uh, his organic leanings towards where the pen goes and how things are illustrated and how they take on a life of their own. And it's not necessarily related to a perfect picture or anything, but it's like an expressionistic drawing. Oh, look at this thing next time you're at the shop. It's uh, four issues of science fiction called Turncoat, and really, really, really sweet stuff. That's all I can say. Turncoat, man. So, you know, I'm, I'm a retailer now, so I don't have time to read unusually good comics. Oh. Yeah, and, and you know, like... There was a time when I'd go up Itsy or whatever the fuck it's called and buy Home Fries' Ganges, okay? What's his Ganges, uh, how the... Who's our, who's our guy, Ganges? It's so sad that we... Um, it is... It's after work. Uh, Kevin Huzinga! 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 Okay, so you read Huzinga. You read Huzinga's Gages 5. Man. I read Gages 5. What did it do for you? Because I haven't had a chance. And I oh, it's know so good. Uh, Gages, uh, it only comes out, what, once every two years, if we're lucky? 
<laughs> what a comic it is, though. It's just, I mean, it's, and, yeah, and it's like you forget that there was this wonderful narrative to it, too, because there's so much in the book where it's him sort of looking at, he's sort of playing with the idea of uh, comic storytelling. It's just so good. And, um, he's what you call a formal cartoonist. Yes. He pays attention to time and space and mark making and everything. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, there's no, and it's, it's nice because he never loses his like enthusiasm for it. He never loses his, um, Excitement for what he's doing. He, 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 a game geez that was, you know, he's done five of these. He's done however many other books, and they're they're always great material. Yeah, he, he experiments with different like ways to formalistically tell a story, or experience a moment, or even something as mundane as recreate old shitty sixties Charlton comics and redraw them and. So he wasn't that great? Yeah, probably it's a hundred just, times better than the original comic. Yeah, but yeah. So I mean, like, I I don't know. We can tell ourselves that was him a practicing um, figure, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe maybe it's just, no, no. Because didn't he retell that one Captain America story? Was that him? It's possible. Or was that Elijah J. Brubaker? Remember the guy who retold yeah. that cat? Was it Brubaker? Brubaker, yeah. Yeah, the other Brubaker. I mean, yeah, these the are all guys who... <sighs> so Gangies, All right, so we'll, we'll take a depressing trip down memory lane. Gangies yeah. started as a Fanagraphics imprint book. What was that line called? I don't know. It was eight bucks a hit. They were all the same size, saddle-stitched. Beautiful... Art. Yeah. Uh, great artists, great. Uh, they did domestic stuff. They imported stuff. There was like one that wasn't great, but I mean, they were pretty much just great across the board. It was, it was. It's this, good luck with those. It was this. It was like if it was like kind of like good wine, you know. Like, did he get a couple of them through Fantagraph? I think he did get a couple of them, maybe even three. But it's like this is a thing that. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, you like Vertigo, do you? Well, that's not quite snobby enough. But it's good snobby, you know? Like, this is... This is really good comic strips. This is really good comic book making. And it failed. Miserably. <laughs> In the long run, I mean, I don't know. It, it, I certainly bought them all. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it didn't survive the recession, right? Like, no. no. And, and Game Jace is one of the last ones left. He makes it easily available. Not You don't you can't buy a digital one, but you can get it in a shop. You can get it online. There's no question about where you can get one. And well, you have to get it online for most people. They'll get it online because there's maybe one indie shop in Chicago or two maybe that might have it. You better call first. Hey, man, you got any gauges? What the fuck? Gauges. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's sort of a relic of a, of a missed opportunity, I guess. I mean, it's, 
that's not how comics went. We didn't get that. But now we are, it, we're getting the sort of more palatable version. Less, uh, it's less, comics are less work than they could have been, I guess you could say. I guess. I, you know, we're still, I don't know, we, we have more platforms and venues than ever before to send comics out into the audience. And whether or not they succeed or not is one thing, whether they capture an audience. But I don't think I've ever seen a freer time to do comics. And you have such platforms to just send them out into people. That's true. Huzinga is doing. Like, okay, I'm sure he's got his stuff online that you can download. But it's no, he doesn't. He's really he's, he's a paper ed- dude. He, paper dude. He sticks wow. with it. Yeah. Well, you know what though? His his formal experiments are meant to be read, and the time and space it takes to turn a page mm-hmm. to another, and that's what he's about because he's a formal cartoonist. And, I can't yeah. wait. There's going to be a trade after the sixth issue. There's really? going to be there's going to be a collection. Yeah, you can just sit there for three hours. Right? I mean, it's, he's not going to do a 295-hour newspaper-sized reprint, but which is good because <laughs> I don't want to have to have that conversation with my wife, but, you know. It's so easy to spend five minutes reading gauges and then turn the page. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so gauges is good stuff for those of you who are looking for formal cartoonists. Yes. Andrew is obviously impressed by the latest issue. Yes, and next up is Hot Damn, which I believe I read the first issue, but not the second, so you're going to lead. All right, I'll lead. Hot Damn. It's a title by one of our indie writers that we keep an eye on around here, Ryan Ferrer. For better, for worse, for up, for downs, he's been kind of a favorite because he has a lot of cool concepts he throws out there. He seems to pair up with good artists, you know, people who can uh, sustain his vision and do a lot of creation on his benefit. And uh, recently there's uh, been one called Hot Damn about this guy that goes to hell. And it's about his – he's got kind of like an AA-type partner in hell, I think you'd call it maybe. Like some dude who's his – Sponsor. Sponsor. Well, AA sponsor. Like when you when you join AA, you get a sponsor, yada, yada. You know all the story all about there. So they're in hell. So there's a lot of social commentary about humans and earth in general. And uh, – now that they're in hell, he can play with a lot of the uh, stereotypes and the characters and do a lot of bending because it's kind of a magical dark dimension. So he can take the humor to another level. Now, whether he adds up to anything is going to be the, the trick. But for the first couple issues so far, I think it's been pretty dense read. I mean, you don't go through this thing in five minutes. It's not five minutes of comics. Yeah. And uh, the artist, uh, Ramon, no, no, wait, Ramon's his last name, Valentin Ramon. He was on him on that robot saga that I kind of enjoyed as well. Yeah, you did kind of like that one, yeah. And uh, these two are a nice team together, and uh, I like this guy, the main character. He's kind of like helpless in his own, like, desire to achieve another level and get the hell out of hell, as it were, you know. So we'll see. I think after two issues that he's got a good vehicle. You know, he seems to like three and four issue things. He does. Yeah. So not weird, but maybe good in his case. I don't know. He doesn't seem to want to stretch it to six or leave it at four or whatever. So we'll see how that goes. Hot Damn is supposed to run four. How'd you feel about it? Uh, 
I wasn't as excited about the concept. I think that one of the things I like about him is that he he does find an interesting concept to do. Maybe not the most original concept, but he takes an interesting right. And with Hot Damn, we just we still have that other Afterlife book coming out. Remember uh, <sighs> Exodus. No, I've no, not that one. The one with uh, <laughs> Josh. No, not Josh. The guy who does the web comics all the time. Oh, crap. What's his name? In the afterlife? Yeah, there's a, they're in heaven. He teams up with Hemingway, I think. Oh, I think that is Exodus. Are you knowing the... Uh... The Jonathan Hickman one. Uh, Not Hickman, no. So, see, here's the problem. There's so many of them, we can't even think of what it is. <laughs> and so, it is. This. It is just like a standard thing you do now. Now you do right. your. Now you do your afterlife four issue series and see if you hit with it. It's like, so. I mean, that's it. I just, I just don't think it's one of his to get excited about. I think that. Well, I think I got a little burnt by Kennel Block, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, so we got one on tap that I haven't read at all, the new Pretty Deadly, which you've been writing well about. I mean, it's, you know, it's good. I mean, it's it's always, Pretty Deadly's always good, but Pretty Deadly's... <sighs> Pretty Deadly's not really that exciting anymore. I mean... Kelly Sudeikonik doesn't really give Emma Rios anything that we don't know that Emma Rios isn't going to be able to do. It's kind of like Steve Bissett on Swamp Thing. Okay. Once you do hell and insects, what what are you going to do? Like, yeah, right. oh, we're going to do a we're going to do some vampires now. Bigger it's hell like, and like, and it's like, no, I don't need to do that. I did hell with insects. Like, we peaked on the, uh, and I guess I, I feel like that's kind of the thing is it's pretty deadly peaked really earlier. It plateaued really early. It's a it's a very high bar, but it's you know, does it need a second arc? Right. And it's like, maybe it'll read different trade or something, but it's just like, yeah, I think there's certainly nothing in the second arc that, that's a very difficult thing for a comic book property to continually rise, right? Like, oh yeah, what do you call that in, in, in retail sales, attrition affects 98% right, so I mean and just in terms of ambition and quality they're trying to keep their readers, they're trying to, you know, generate some new ones, but you want to keep the whatever, 3,500 copies you do sell and it's just you know, it's right when do we ever come into a comic and be like, well, the second arc was, you know, better than the first if it isn't, if it isn't, I guess I'd say if, if it doesn't appear that it's going to last longer than that. Like yeah, I, that, that brings up a deeper problem I have with the image titles in general as a retailer is that I get really strong response to the first arc, but rarely do I see that return for the second story as mm-hmm. much as the first one. I, I lose, God, 
a, a chunk of sales and pretty deadly. I think I agree with you on that. I think the first arc was a nice poetic, lyrical type of exercise. It told a nice epic story. And, uh, but you really got to have some kind of hook to get people around for a second one. And I'm just not sure it was there. I'm not really sure. Yeah, know? and I mean, just thinking about it like that in comparison to the first arc. So the second arc takes place in World War One. Okay. And there's just some great stuff, right? But it also has to tie into the to the uh, Old West stuff, right? Yeah. To sort of provide the bridge. Well, the first series didn't do that. The first series didn't worry about providing a bridge to what, you know, you had mystical, you had reality, right? And then you had the mix. Now we've got mystical reality, the mix, plus the tie into the previous series. And it's just like, it, it kind of just, It's showing off without enjoying yourself. I mean, it's like being good at something without enjoying it. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was certainly a beautifully written and nicely drawn. Comic it's not book. showing off enough, is what it is. It's like yeah. it's not. It, it's not enthusiastic enough about itself. the headphones down and I'm just looking at my phone and all of a sudden it's just you're burping. <laughs> Alright. Alright, did we finish the review or do we have to cap it up yet? No, we're good. Alright. So moving on to uh, what what could have been DC's Stupidest decision of 2016. If it weren't for all their other stupid decisions, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we were worried, <laughs> not too worried. I mean, like this is pretty dumb, but not as bad as if Rebirth hadn't actually like been okay enough. Like you know, yeah, Rebirth was fine. So we're talking about Hanna Barbera DC. So for years, of course, DC did publish under the Cartoon Network imprint. Hanna-Barbera properties, right? Like, there was a Scooby-Doo book for years. Still is. Right. And it's popular, or at least it... Well, um, for a kid's book, it sells for me every month. I don't have problems moving Scooby-Doo. So now, we've got, um, amongst other titles, which I'm not even aware of, because I didn't pay any attention to this, other than Doc Shaner drawing one of the books... Um, and we'll, we'll get to why that's important in a bit. But you filthy heathen, you. There's Future Quest by um, Jeff Parker and Doc Shaner and Steve Rube doing some pages yeah. because yeah, he needs some money. Like, let's oh. be honest here. Steve Rube needs some money. 
Um, Everybody and, working in comics needs money, okay? We shouldn't. Steve shouldn't up. need money, and that I think uh, that I is really shouldn't. I know. that is one of those frustrating things that, like, as a comics fan, you want Steve Rude to be okay. Like, right, right. he deserves to be okay. He deserves Alex Ross level. Right. This is why. This is why when somebody in comics has a medical crisis. They probably do get, you know, donations from the fan base because even though the fan base is kind of jerks, they're they're not jerks like that. Like we are you are supportive of the hobby, you just don't want to listen. But anyway, tying into my earlier rant. There and, you go. You know, that, that doesn't mean good can't come out of something. Um so yeah, we got Future Quest, and then we have Scooby Apocalypse. Why it wasn't called Scooby-Doo Apocalypse, I don't know. But I assume there's a reason uh, because Scooby is the, the, the branding for the young adult Scooby-Doo, whereas Scooby-Doo is for the kids. But, it's rated for teen. So, Scooby Quest, uh, or Scooby Apocalypse, is written by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMattis. It's got art by Howard Porter. It's it's a, bunch Jim of old it's a bunch of old farts, but like, you know, there's no way Howard Porter should be doing this, but he is. Yeah. There's no, I mean, Giffen and DeMattis doing Scooby-Doo, like the comic, that makes sense. Like, if you told me that, that Giffen and DeMattis wrote Scooby-Doo, the Cartoon Network book, for four years, I'd believe you. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I... You know, it's like, I should read it, but I'm not going to. Like, I'm not going to write comics, so I don't need to know what these guys are doing. No. I mean, that's kind of the level of creator they are, that they're, they, they, they are important wherever they go. They just, as a reader, you can't follow them. Like, we, we can't go there. We have to, you know, <clears throat> we can't all be fans of Cosmic Keith Giffen. I'm not a fan of Cosmic uh uh-huh, uh-huh, Drax. Anyway, for everybody who wasn't around for Vernon's flirtation with sci-fi Marvel ten years ago, that was a uh, that was a reminder. So Future Quest is okay. Um, it's kind of by the numbers. That's it the, is. It's very competently done. But it's a little vanilla at the end. You get to the end and I'm like, wait a second, Jeff Parker didn't write Agents of Atlas, did he? And then I look and I'm like, <laughs> oh shit, he did. Like, this is now embarrassing. Like, there's no reason for this. Like, Agents of Atlas was the greatest team book, you know, of a, of a decade, right? Like, it's the best team book under the Casada era of Marvel. Right. I mean, it's just this amazing book. And it's just like, so what does Parker do? He does this. Sort of like, oh yeah, we're making uh, we're making the Hanna Barbera cartoon characters cool again. Like, ooh, Space Ghost is gonna threaten some kids and shit. Like, oh, hey, I, I was I was waiting for Johnny and Haji to make, mess with the local girls. I mean, it's it's fine. It it begs the question of who the hell is this audience? You know. I'll probably come back and finish it off just because I'm old Hanna Barbera well, old guy that watched the cartoons. That's true, but there's the other thing is, I mean, you are the audience. Yeah, I am. I'm a little bit young for it, but you know, I I had USA at my grandparents' house. Uh, you got house. Jeff Parker and Doc Shane, right? Like, and I got yes. Yeah, so I mean, there's that too, and it, it is. I mean, 
Has anybody ever drawn a Florida swamp as gorgeously as Shane and Rude do in that comic? Has anybody ever drawn a better Dr. Zoo page than Steve Rude and his female accomplice in her lovely fish that fish that <sighs> overlay? Utterly delicious. It's just it's just great looking and it's yeah. It's the whole package except for spice. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, if you go to your friend's house for a barbecue and he brings over Costco frozen hamburger patties and buns and feeds you those. It's edible, it's decent, but it lacks flavor. And right. that's yeah. However, however Scooby Apocalypse It's inexplicably I got through it took me two sittings, but I got through that comic book. Oh my god, it's so fucking weird. It's overwritten for one thing. Again, I again oh, just the letter an editor would say you don't you don't keep cut these balloons down fifty percent. Okay? That's the maddest race. The dialogue, but it's just like yeah, yeah he just is just talking. He's just like what the hell? Blah 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 blah. I'm right. Nobody yeah, ever hired me to write a Scooby Doo yeah. comic for you know to make Scooby Doo cool to teenagers again. Like yeah, yeah. I so, I, I, I I don't know if they're going to go much past the first issue for this thing for the energy, but you know I, I was on board even after well, all the. Extra dialogue and everything. Yes, because what Scooby Apocalypse is, is it's DC going, or it's Warner Brothers going, what What do you mean they're making a fucking Archie TV show that's, you know, going to have these gay kids and it's like mystery and shit. And somebody's yeah. like, well, it's by the, it's like by the comic guy. And they're like, what, what do you mean the fucking comic guy? And then, so like somebody found out about art afterlife with Archie and they were like, we could do this with Scooby Doo. Only they can't because like it's Howard Porter. I mean, okay. Howard Porter. And the most successful thing in the comic is Velma. Like, yes. And you can't even, you can't even see the poor thing's eyeballs. Right. It's so like, Velma is this comic book character. It's awesome. And Don't be fooled, by the way. Jim Lee draws her on the cover as a misshapen gnome. Right. She's actually a full-figured girl in the comic. I don't and know why. She's smart, and Shaggy might have a crush on her, and it's just like... <sighs> it, it, it's like if it had come out in 1996, this would have been, been the thing. It would have it this would have changed the world. Yeah, like, yeah, I think in 96, if Scooby Apocalypse had come out, it would have set the standard. Yeah, and instead, it's just this weird sort of... It's an interesting phenomenon in the fact that it's not the best executed comic, but it does have professional people mm-hmm. working. And it works as a fun comic book read. I swear to God, like if I, I, I could honestly say to my customers... Okay, you pay three ninety nine, you're getting your money's worth. Right, like it's I mean, weird that we've got it's this other thing, and I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, I was like painstakingly waiting for the time I had to read Scooby Doo Apocalypse, right. and then when I did, I'm like, cool, you know. That's you know, that's kind of the thing is that us old farts who aren't that excited about this or that, it's because you only do have so much time to read these comics. That's true, and yes. when everything has a certain base quality. It, it it introduces more possibility and it introduces – it just makes it harder to be a better reader. And that's very weird. I mean yeah. we're at a point – I mean we hit it you with television. Just reading Marvel and DC Comics. But I mean but you used to be able to go, well, you'll be a better reader if you just read image books. And now that's not the case anymore because there are just too damn many of them. Right, right. Like, you have to have a discerning read comic reader right. like – and you have, you know, 
$14 a week to buy comics, right? Like, uh, it's very hard to find the comics to buy. <laughs> but, you know, Scooby Apocalypse uh, gets the thumbs up. I mean... It does. It's total... Yeah, it's... After you go for the main buy, they got this wonderful three-page story. <laughs> Scooby meant Shaggy, and I dare you to get through it without your Kleenex. It is just ridiculous. It's just, you know, and they're not even, like, going for sensationalism. They're just like, no. ah! No, 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 he's just saving the poor mutt from getting torn to bits it's by like, they're not, it's, They've gotten to a point where you can do um, you can do a grim and gritty without being condescending in some way to, to a portion of your audience. Well, it, it's weird because this whole book is kind of condescending. You know what I mean? Like it takes the Scooby fans, it takes them on the Scooby ride, and it adds the the, the modern touch-ups and the framework, and it does it successfully. It's a fun read. I, yeah. Again, can they can they maintain this uh, momentum over what six issues? We'll see. But you know, the first one's fun. I, yeah. I much you know, and, and I hate to say it, I feel like flagellating myself uh, that we like this book better than uh, Future Quest. I know. Certainly the one we were looking for with the pedigree, but it came in second place to Scooby-Doo. I'm sorry. It did. <laughs> and now to we'll, we'll pair these guys together because they belong together. Yep. Sabrina and Archie. Sabrina number five after a nine-month, one-year one hiatus. The year hiatus, yeah. What is it like to be worth it? How many times have I changed Sabrina came out? Yeah, exactly. How, like, yet I think back, you know, you got to remember how angry people were for 10 years about how long they had to wait for Camelot 3000. Brian Boland. heard that was. Didn't deliver, but Robert thank Hack. God. Yeah, thank God Sabrina's same pack of dogs. Oh, it's just... Sabrina gets gets her foot on your throat and does not let up. I mean, a year later, you're like, you know, I want this comic to be good. I really enjoyed the series, but it's been a year, and you will give it. But it doesn't. After the end of your read, it, you're like, holy fuck, Batman. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the thing is we were talking about the importance of editors earlier, and you know, comics do need editors, but we are getting to a point where maybe. Yes, it sucks for uh, a certain type of momentum, but maybe we can do extended hiatuses. Maybe. Well, the the, the writer seems to be pretty disciplined. What's his name? <sighs> Roberto, the guy who's running Archie now. Yeah, he's. Yeah, them and the other six employees. <laughs> well, they got the TV show coming out. Roberto uh, Aguilar. Like, I, I always Arcaza. I, I gotta remember to make sure that the uh, um, adult language icon is turned on for this episode. Adult language? What do you mean? Well, we're uh, dropping fucks every other minute. Yeah, but it's not. It's not a kid's thing, though. Really? <laughs> Vern and I wanted some children to read Providence. Not in the slightest. Or. <laughs> <laughs> We don't talk about books for kids. There's plenty of other idiot podcasts for that crap. All right. So Sabrina, yeah, comes back after forever. It's great. It's it's just very weird because the way it acknowledges the hiatus is interesting. 
it it gives you enough in its recap. And then the way they do the first act of the book, it sort of brings back... I mean, that's kind of thing I think you see with uh, a number of creators now, is that you see a very formal construction to each issue. Like, you have the first act, second act, third act in the issue, whereas... You used to have that in Marvel and DC books because it's like what they they learned in a uh, screenwriting book or something, you know. But these are the guys, this generation are the, the guys who went to writing school, you know. They're the Brian K. Vaughn generation. Roberto Aguirre Sarcaza has been around. He, he relaunched um, Fantastic Four years ago, and I've been talking about reading it for that long. Um, Tell Pete what script writer and the other stuff. He's been a professional writer, right? And so he brings this sort of, and it's like the thing that happened with Waiting for the Trade was is that you got the whole arc, especially with Bendis. Nobody did this more than Bendis. You, in order to get a satisfactory experience out of Ultimate Spider-Man, you had to read six issues in one sitting, right? Because you know he's fucking chasing Green Goblin for one issue. Mark Bagley's art. Yes, he does the work, but it ain't that interesting. Like, that doesn't elevate it, you know? Like, but, you know, Sarkaza, or Aguirre Sarkaza, he gets how to, you know, bring you back into the comic in the first act while generating the stuff for the rest of the issue, and then he ties it all together. And it's just, I mean, it's just how we can still care about these characters so deeply after, you know, he's... He's obviously done a lot of thinking about him because if you look at, like you say, it's been a year off, right? And we get Sabrina one week and we get Archie the next week. And there are, Sabrina is in both comics. She stars in one, she has a guest starring role in the other one. Now in the other one, this is years, I think, after, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's really fascinating that he can keep all this story about these two storylines together and keep adding little aspects to them, but yet intertwine them in this story of Archie and Riverdale and Sabrina and Jughead and just keep you interested. Like, after a comic has been gone a year, you'd be hard-pressed to say that you really give a shit about it that much. But Archie and Sabrina, they deliver in spades. Yeah. It's bringing something new to the table, whether it's the utterly hopeless and disgusting story within Harvey's family and Sabrina or or Reggie's descent into madness and afterlife with Archie. I mean it's just it's yeah, he this is comics growing in a different you know it's bringing in the best of um what we are able to expect now because of TV, you know, you wait for things and you're okay waiting for them. We probably did, have been doing this podcast long enough that in the first episodes, we're just bitching about somebody d- making us wait. Yeah. yeah. Like, ugh, ugh, what the hell? I didn't want to wait for that. Ugh, what the hell? I'm not going to wait a mu- an off month for Solo. <laughs> but like, after a year, man. We don't even care anymore. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's very strange and it's only Archie could do it. You know, like you're almost like glad to have you back aboard. I really needed a new comic to read. Thank God you you published again. You know, those things are must have double bag items, kids. All right, no afterlife with Archie. Yeah, Reggie is a bastard. 
Um, so one of the things that. that I've always loved about Afterlife with Archie was just the attention to character and how little the zombie apocalypse mattered for it. Right. Like you had the one uh, issue where the the subplot about the two gay teens. It's you know, pretty subtle too. It's it's really it's really subtle, and he does it for the whole damn issue. Like it's it's it weaves in and out that whole issue. He works at it, you know. Like, and so this issue is about Reggie worrying that he's a sociopath. That's I mean that's really what it's about. And guess what? Oh shit, he is like. And he's isolated himself since since you know, three he, years, right? Because he was worried about being a sociopath. So it just didn't go well. Like, like right. he, you know, it, it's kind of really depressing because he tries. You know, he, he really, really tries, right? He, wants, he really thinks he tries. Yeah, you know, it's just like, oh. So, I mean, it's just, so, and Frank Avila, oh, my God, he's so good. And it's just, again. Yeah. The perfect unison of script and writing and, and beautiful artwork. It really is. Weird. Just, yeah. It's amazing that a company like Archie could produce a comics masterpiece in this day and age. I Especially mean, with this content, you know, because, I mean, like, this is just Marvel zombies with Archie, right? Like, it's the same theme. Right? It, but it's a car that takes the time to get to know the characters and stretch it out mm -hmm. individually with stories about Archie Andrews, relationship to his parents, his relationship to Betty, peripheral characters like Chughead, what led him into this, Reggie, his, right. his lifelong fear of being a psychopath. I mean, this is a new angle. We always knew that Reggie was a bit of a psychopath, but this issue after the apocalypse explains how long he's been thinking about it. It's just such an interesting direction to take the company in, in, in sort of just this. Is there anybody other than Sakaris that's in charge of anything anymore? I'd be hard pressed to see anybody he's else. He's been writing the TV show. Yeah. Good for him. God bless I mean, him. it's interesting. And this is, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll tie it in to my earlier rant. This is how a responsible brand works, right? Like, yes. It's not, you know, right. I mean, that's kind of the thing is, is that, like, having Kevin Keller was important. Yeah. It, it wasn't revealing that Archie's dad was in the Klan. Like, you know. <laughs> Great stuff, by the way. Yeah, and it's like, you're not hitting 100,000 readers. You're not hitting 50,000 readers. You know, and it's like, it, it's, it's having, I guess I'd say, um, a certain amount of pride in your brand. And it shouldn't come as any surprise that Marvel has no pride in their brand. But it's just weird that Disney's let them do it. You never see this type of, you know, brand disservice with any of the other Disney um, properties. Except with Captain America being a Nazi. Well, that's what I'm talking about, Vernon. Anyway, all right, moving on to a kid's comic. Because Vernon just said we never talk about kid's comics, but we're going to. Yeah, we are going to talk about one hell of a good kid's comic. Uh, let me see. What, what's, what's our name here? Baker Roger Street Peculiars. Yeah. Roger Landridge is a cartoonist writer that is near and dear to me and Andrew for many, many, many years now. He's one of the best practitioners of cartoon art and narrative stories living and working today. No shit. And he's got a new one called Baker Street Peculiars. It's a four-issue miniseries about a bunch of kids, three of them, and a dog. 
and their adventures with what may or may not be Sherlock Holmes and whether or not they can prevent the destruction of London. And it's a great, great, great story. It is. Uh, Andy Hirsch does the art, and it's very... It's Langridge finally found somebody who basically does art kind of like he does. It's almost... When you, it's like, remember Rocky and Bullwinkle had a couple issues where you're just like, what the hell happened with the art? Yeah. Like, Langridge faltering on art after doing Snarked, which I think is still his masterpiece today. You gotta read that book. But I mean, it's almost like Hirsch not quite being as imaginative, as inventive with the, the medium as uh, Langridge is. It's okay now, you know. It's a, you know the, he does language style, and you know it's just a good book. I mean, it's <sighs> the pacing is almost like a really well written Silver Age comic from DC or Marvel that ran twenty pages. Yeah, there is language knows how to write for. What language is writing for is a trade. He's writing for a 35-minute read and trade form in the finish. I might go further than that because I could spend 15 or 20 per issue on this. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, because there's so it's so smart. It's so good. And he's, he takes it very seriously. He takes it's It's like um, language is a... Uh, What's the guy with, with, with the axe girl? What the hell's her name? Um, Courtney Cromwell, who does that? Oh, Nypha. Language is Nypha without the um, gimmicks. Yeah, yeah. Like, language, you know, Nypha is serious about it and everything, but he, he does wrap around a gimmick of a some kind or another. As it were, right. Whereas, yeah. his language, and he just spews it out constantly. And, and his interest level is... His interest level is educational. Oh, like, he, yeah. he wants to talk about something he knows. I mean, you put language, language is more similar to Ennis than he is to Nypha. They both, they, they, when they find an interest that they have, whether it's literature, whether it's, you know, Sherlock Holmes, pulp, British it. pulp, yes. I mean, this is, Baker Street Peculiars is... Um, language doing British pulp. That's what oh, it is. Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. that's what he's trying to do, and he's doing it in a kid's book that's just as rewarding to adults. And I mean, we we saw him do that with Thor the Mighty Avenger, which was... Possibly that was six fucking years ago. Comics written under the code Joe Quesada era. Joe Quesada, as an editor-in-chief, could probably point towards... Yeah, at least 50 comics that are really, really good, maybe 100 under his tenure, that set standards. And that was one of them. I mean, Chris Samney can do no wrong forever because of that book. Yeah, and because he's Chris Samney, he never seems to do any wrong. It's getting... It's getting frustrating, you know? He's like he's like Michael Lark in that. But, you know, Samney never disappoints. He really doesn't. He, he just puts it together. Um, you know, and another thing, too, when I'm using the Baker Street Peculiars as a kid's book, it's not a beginning read. Uh, the kid that no. reads has got to keep up with a uh, number of characters and situations. I would suggest uh, 
upper middle grade to higher grade school kids that are good readers because yeah. but you know what this thing is outstanding i can't wait for the final issue for it all wrap up i i feel like a giddy little kid waiting for the last issue how many times how many artists other than roger landridge and, and roger landridge doesn't always get me to do that i know that you said that snart was yeah you fell off snart after like the third damn issue i know i just it wasn't it wasn't on my possible, what can I tell you? There are like fifteen of them and they're just, just magical. It's just wonderful. Landridge, you know, I can remember a time when I used to visit his website. Yeah. And his pages for Fred the Clown were fifty fucking dollars. And I didn't have fifty fucking dollars. And now I wish I'd have went and borrowed fifty fucking dollars to buy those pages. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, All right, moving on. peculiars is good stuff. Fucking read it. Don't argue with us, okay? Yes. Um, I'm going to let you have a second on Kaiju Max unless you've got the magic word gladiator in mind. <laughs> Kaiju Max is back. I don't even know that I finished the first season. Um, you had to have. I looked, and I don't think I did. Son of a bitch. Um, Kaiju Max is one that, for me, uh, yeah, I read up to six. How many were there before? That's it, maybe Seven is the beginning of the new plot, Fred. Okay, so, not seven, Kaiju Max series, two, season one. two, number one. Right, technically. Um, you know, and, and in some ways it is cool that canon is doing seasons. I mean, that solves certain indie publishing problems, and he does... Netflix cable TV. It does, yes. And I mean, it's it's sort of unfair because this is something cable TV sort of took from comics and is claiming is their own. Right. Now that comics are doing it, but this is... There were multiple times uh, in the 90s where you'd have one Vertigo series and then you'd have another one. You know, you waited for it um, somewhat regularly. Uh, the, the Vertigo mystery series, uh, Midnight Mass, was like that, you know? like Oh, monthly to the clock. Monthly to the clock, and then you waited a year and you got the next one, and um, Boom tried doing that with its Mark Wade mystery girl. <laughs> Remember? Um, whatever, the... Shit, I don't know. It was years ago. But, you know, <laughs> comics never get credit for this. Uh, so, you know, Xander Cannon is sort of running ahead. And he's, he's, he's doing a good season two right. setup, I guess. It's, it's um, dark off. It's really dark. It was dark before, and now we're doing dark. Because um, it was like Oz for Japanese movie monsters. Right. And now what we're doing is we're doing... Um, Prisoners outside of jail, except there's still movie monsters. It's almost like Kaiju Max is too good at what it does in that it it's not quite serious enough to be a commentary on prisons. You know, that's not what he's going for. He's going for the... Um, the smart the humor. social aspects, too, I think. I don't know that he's going for those. Enough. I mean, I don't know that he should go for those too much. I think that... <sighs> you think he gets too dark? 
No, hell. You know, it's there's a contrast between the animated cartoon Japanese movie monsters mm-hmm. and the real life situations they face. Right. Very gritty, dark, and graphic in some ways. And, and those are, I'm not sure, it's an interesting experiment. I'm not sure that they're going to, like, work because it's awfully dark. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I just feel like he doesn't have a, the right balance. And He's on the verge of a very successful comic at the end of the first trade. Yeah. And the sec- the first issue in the second series is really dark, and you're surprised he led that way. Yeah, it's just, it, it just doesn't bode well, I guess, would be the sort of concern I have. And I've always been... I mean, these are problematic vehicles for metaphor anyway. Right, right. That's true. Um, and he he does get, he has great minutia, but he gets lost in it, you know? And it's just like he, he wants to concentrate on what he does really well instead of what he needs to do, I guess. You know, that'd be a good explanation to his strips in general. If you looked at a lot of his stuff, it's 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 very minutely detailed stuff that he's really into. But at one point, you have to remember your needs of your readers, and you forget about that. And while Kaiju Max is a really elegantly constructed strip, um, it lacks enough of the friend, friendly tentacles it needs to bring people on board and really want to hear about the stories of these right. things. You get really like, wow, this is really depressing, you know, and dark. And I don't know how much longer I can deal with this. Right, like, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, what, what a witty use for, you know, giant monsters to use this, you know, type of, I don't know, service station or hideout for as they, you know, kill themselves. It's It's sort of like your beloved childhood cartoon characters being a bunch of depressed drunks. It's really odd because you look at the letters page and it's filled with really bright, poppy, appreciative, lifelong fans of Japanese movie monster type stuff. And you read the comic, you're like, man, these things are killing each other off. This is really a tough job. I mean, you do not want to be a Japanese movie monster. Right. man, it is on the TV shows, you know? Ryan Ferrer, for whatever reason, we didn't put his stuff together. Yeah, for whatever reason. Um, Kettle Block Blues from Boom. Uh, Ryan Ferrer and Daniel Bayless on the art. Um, quite a nice team on the earlier issues as yes. far as I'm concerned. Yes. Um, it has a rather the ending that any editor could have said, Ryan, you sure you want to do this now? I mean... You you got people invested in some money here. Maybe you ought to be nice to them. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird. Um, so it's, it's about uh, anthropomorphizing dogs and cats to prisoners in, in, in the pound. In the pound. Um, 
with a musical Disney musical element to it, but not as strong as I think they'd like it to have been, or they say it was. Um, it's it had a pretty good first issue, I remember. Um, second issue fell off as it does with Ryan Ferrer. Uh, third issue came back a little. Fourth issue though didn't really have that that solid Ferrer finish, as as we'd say. Um, and it's kind of weird because he's a writer who he and Cy Spurrier, you don't get a feeling of them as the brand. Yeah, they're not slackers. Yeah, I mean, they're they put a lot into their particular um, series. You know, like, the series seems to come first, but Kennelbach Blues, it just seemed sort of... I mean, again, was it the editor, or was there just not the story? Yeah, there, 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 was, a, there was a good, like, musical thing going on with the main character, who's like this uh, hallucinogenic dog who's half crazy and half sane. And he's thrown into the pound, and he makes his various friends... They're opposite on the guideline with the cats and all the other types of gangs that exist in the Palm Prison. And Daniel Bayless, you know, you got to give this guy some credit. He He's really carries low to the story on his his back with his uh, anthropomorphized cats and dogs and other creatures. And the story, uh, and he does the hallucinogenic scenes really, really yeah. well. Totally convincing. But you get down to the, the fourth issue of this thing, and I, I, I tell my customers, there was two of them I gave the last issue free to. I says, I, I put the staff pick sign on this thing, and you're on the fourth issue, and you know what? I'm going to give it to you because if you took two-thirds of this issue and you cut it right there, you'd say, okay, it's a cheap cop-out, easy ending, okay? But that last little chunk, it takes the story and it takes it to a totally different place. And I'm thinking that an editor would have said to Ryan Ferrer, is this where you want to go with this? And you could have taken the easy, cheap cop-out rate earlier, you know, when they escape at the end of the prison block thing, and just let it go. And you say, okay, we live happily ever after. Who gives a fuck? But you know what? It still would have been satisfying as a story. And we talk about this. Like, what does the story do for the customer? And sometimes it doesn't. And and that's where that's where it gets nailed here because an editor would have said to Ryan Ferrer, "This ending you have does this. Uh, is that what you want to do with this story?" And I don't know if I'd have gone that route. I mean, that's kind of the thing with comics is that Alan Moore talked about this. He talked about um, I don't think he talked about all of this, but he talked about. The time it takes for the writer to write it, the time it takes for the reader to read it, the time it takes for it to be published, things like that. Your time commitment in comics is completely different than your time commitment to a novel um, or a movie even, right? Like, Right, yeah, you don't spend two hours reading comics. Right, like Kettleblock Blues is in our sort of it's on the back burner in our brains for four months while we're waiting for it to come out. You and know, finish. it's like, and finish. It's like, <clears throat> it's very, it's a very strange thing about comics that really television has, um, 
but sort of in a different way. With comics, uh, it's small enough that when you get burned, it's sort of it feels personal, and some of that comes from the fact that comic book writers and comic book artists should not do so many interviews trying to get us to read their books. Like, you don't want to humanize the creators of these books. You don't want to humanize their message of, oh, you got to buy this book, or I can't. You know, Mark Miller, right? Me and my child are hungry. I'm going to go there. I'm going to say, Mark Miller, you need to buy my comics, or I will die of Crohn's disease. Well, Mark Millar might just die of Crohn's disease. That was ten years ago, Vernon. He better be okay. Like, (laughs) we read all of his uh, Flash knockoff, like... That didn't pay off, did it? Um, and so it's just it's just a very strange period where y- if they are hiring editors, they're not getting the right editors. They're not getting yeah. editors with enough experience. Ryan Ferrer needs uh, Ryan Ferrer needs Joan Hilty. He's an idea guy, is all the hell. And you know, he needs really he need, Heidi McDonald needs to stop doing the beat and she needs to team up with somebody who wants to do comics and she needs to come back and edit these guys because that's all these guys need. That's all they need is they need somebody who reads their shit, reads their shit and has read other shit. And I mean, that's some of the problem is that like you can't an editor's job is to know what's going on. It's to know where the thing's going to be. It's to know where things are going. Where this writer's script at this place in this time mm-hmm. fits into everything else going around. We've got a brand. We've got a medium. We've got to do all this. And it's like, they never thought about this shit. No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> but they just managed to deal with it. Like, they, they managed to work it out, you know? Like, right, in the 80s, right, we yeah. had Secret Wars and Crisis and First Comics and Dark Horse. And, you know, it just all, it all worked out. But then once, once people stopped being able to fail and go on and do other things or go on and not do other things uh, in a, a not great way, I mean, you right. know, it's like... There's there's real blood on the comics floor, and I mean that's some of the passion of it. You know, you look at um, the guy who did uh, Journey, right? Like he did not have a happy ending. Messenger Lo- Messenger Lobes or whatever. Yeah. And it's like all the love for this guy could not make things better, and it's like you get invested with these people, and it's great on that way, but it's just it's. Devastating in others, it really. It's is. devastating in others, and you can't. And and some of it is that you just have to. Boom's gotta. Boom has sort of out of the not out of the blue, but who the hell would have thought they would have survived Invincible? Being, no, Irredeemable. Oh, you know they like, would have been another one of those Canadian comic companies. Right, like they they had a flash in the pan, and then they like they had multiple flashes in the pan, and they they right. stuck it out. Like, it's pretty impressive they've stuck it out at this point. And they're getting editors, but they're not getting editors who edit enough. They're not getting... Maybe maybe, maybe if we're lucky, it's a still-evolving process. And, and actually, I'd be upbeat about that. I, I mean, Boom and That's has, what I'm hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> so now, speaking of, of evidence of creator-owned material... Oh, my God, one of the best... Being, com- 2016. Wait, I gotta go pee in my pants. 
criminal 10th anniversary special. Criminal. That book of Sean Phillips and Ed Brubaker that should have been their greatest achievement and wasn't. Comes back with a 10th anniversary special where... Everything falls into place. They they learn. I mean, who who the hell knew they were learning for the last ten years? Like to create a comic book like that. Oh, it's just amazing. They and what's the thing is is that it's not who they were on Criminal. Brubaker did not. They did not have that level of Criminal. The first arc in Criminal was modern day. Brubaker yeah. hadn't talked Phillips into the 70s shit. Hadn't talked him into the flashbacks. Well, at least it didn't start there, no. Yeah, and I mean, like, we've since seen that in Fatal, Fade Out. And it's like, so they, they've just created this sort of... There's the Brubaker Phillips comics noir that no one else can do. And it's just like, they hell, Brubaker can't even do it without Phillips. And that's like the weirdest thing is we, we got to see this relationship progress because, you know, at a time you would have thought it would have been Brubaker and Stewart. Yes. Brubaker yes. and Lark. We're still asking for scene of the crime too. Like, yeah. and it's just. You, they, they almost seem like Siamese twins at this point, Sean Phillips and Ed Brubaker. I mean, they, it is so they weird just... to think of Phillips doing art without Brubaker. Uh, well, yeah, and it has to stop sometime. But when you see the criminal 10th anniversary special, you're reminded of exactly how good comics can be. Mm-hmm. And you could spend four ninety nine on this comic book, and you have easily gotten $10 worth of comic book. It It is perfect. It is letter perfect. There is not one wrong note on this fucking comic book. It's, yeah, it's just. I I, I take my Kleenex out and I give it a thousand tears. If there had been a six issue criminal comeback, would we have been excited? No. No, but this one issue. Like three times better than the last Mm -hmm. special they did. The last special was pretty good. Okay. It was a good exercise. But this thing is the piece de resistance of two creators that know exactly what the fuck they're doing. Oops, I dropped another F-bomb. You Sorry. did. We're just, it's just... It, Click. <laughs> once we do the first one, it, it, we, I, think we always, I think we always have the uh, parental advisory stamp. But, but this this <sighs> is, is an experience. It's not just an effing comic. It's an experience. It really, 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 really is... It's yeah. like you a good restaurant and you eat, eat a perfect effing meal. It's exactly Stop like that. saying effing. It's annoying. Just go back. To... <laughs> I swear, Vernon. Fucking Speak shit. Speak your God. mind. Fucking ass. No, it's a great fucking comic. All I right. Mean, and I don't want to end it at that either. I mean, this thing works on so many layers. Um, it's just... They start right off where... It's Tracy, who is a 10-year-old boy, I think, around that age. And he accompanies his dad on these missions for low-level violent mafioso types because he's good cover. No one asks questions of a man and his son who are traveling an unknown. And his dad commits 
quite heavy acts. And Tracy is forced to endure a lifestyle like this. And it's just, but it's, 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 it, that's just one level on the entire thing. <sighs> so good. Yeah, so good. It is just good. Well, you got to talk next because I don't even know what Tokyo Ghost is. I, you you told me and I forget. So far to this point, and it's got to go to issue 10, is Rick Remender's best script ever. And that's saying a lot. Everybody just, everybody, you just missed me rolling my eyes. Bernie got oh, to see it. Oh, yeah, and he's piercing his nipples as we speak. Anyway, Rick Remender is a writer you can give or take. And uh, personally, I'd argue that with the structure under Marvel's roof with their characters, he's better than he is on his own when he gets to make all the rules. What? What are you looking at me like that? That's a terrible thing to say. That's a terrible compliment. I'm not a Rick Remender fan. I'm sorry. You read okay. all of his books and you care about do, it less than I care about. Marvel shit is fun. Uh, what is indie stuff is not work for me at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> continue. stuff has not done anything for me. But, you know, Tokyo Ghost. And you know what? You, you and I, we've on this broadcast before, we said someday Sean Murphy is going to get a good writer. And he hasn't got that yet. <laughs> but, and this is my big ass here, my big butt. And I'm saying, I'm saying, brother, that this is as close as he's come yet to a good representation of his skills okay. with a, a script that works. And it's going to go around 10 issues, and I'm hoping to God it finishes good because as a retailer, I'm putting my balls on the line recommending it to people. But I like this, this this somewhat Romeo and Juliet story of two affected law enforcement officials that dump Utopia and the consequences are just is just really good stuff. And Sean Murphy is just great. And there's your wife screaming again. But anyway, <laughs> Tokyo Ghost is great stuff. And I love it at all. I love it. I love it. I hope to God it finishes great because, you know... It's a fun comic. You know, it's one of those comics that I can take people who are DC and Marvel heads and say, look, what is this? Here, I'll give you an old back issue. If you want it more, come to me. It's like drugs. Okay? But it works because it's good drugs. Okay? <laughs> All right. All right. I'm All right. Um... How about Squirrel Girl, motherfucker? Squirrel Girl, um, hold on, let me clo- go close the door since Vernon apparently can hear things. Say what? You guys are getting edited for the um, certain breaks, but not breaks like that because I, I don't have time. And you've been waiting for me and Vernon to do one of these for six months. So <laughs> you've been bigger in our indulgence. Yeah, you, you should enjoy. You should enjoy all of our little uh, real life uh, diversions. So we're going to talk about Squirrel Girl, and but you're um, going to talk about Squirrel Girl. I'm going to talk about Squirrel Girl, which is funny because. Um, because? Well, no, I mean it's funny that I'm the one who's talking about it, and we're not both talking about it because um, Squirrel Girl's really good. I mean, it's um, Erica Henderson. What's the name's a bitch, right? <laughs> uh, 
Erica Henderson follows the party line. Erica Henderson, uh, Erica Henderson is drunk the Kool-Aid. Um, she's the artist, by the way. She's the artist. Uh, sadly, uh, but I mean, like, are we going to hold... So many people have drunk the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> frankly, the fucking death threat thing with the Captain America is what complicates everything. If it hadn't been for a bunch of dudes making death threats... It would. What would they have done? They would be like, "Oh, it's all of these, you know, women who are making death threats." No, they're not. Women don't make death they threats. Don't. They get terrible death threats and other creepy, awful things happening to them. You know, it's like it's. They're not making the death threats. It's some pissed off. You know, it's like ugh. if somebody's white male. If somebody, if a woman who is pissed off about the Captain America stuff knows who Jack Kirby is, don't argue that Jack Kirby was okay with being a bit of an anti-Semite in 1968 when it was a standard comedic practice to make fun of Jews. Just be surprised. Be be happy that your hobby has reached the point that people give a shit who Jack Kirby is. Marvel and Disney, you know, perverted the Supreme Court to fuck over Jack Kirby's heirs. It is on record that Stan Lee created everything and told Jack Kirby exactly what to do. That's what you're believing in. That that level of just total bullshit. Like, uh, anyway. Jack Kirby, so, was, Jack Kirby was God in Marvel Comics. Just and leave it he's in. never, there's no amount of money or credit that's going to get to it. And that's the thing. Like... We're past that. We lost. We lost that fight. Right. That money's long gone, home prize. Hey, you know what? They deserve... Squirrel Girl. What the fuck about Squirrel Girl? Okay, Squirrel Girl. So Squirrel Girl goes back to the 60s. It... 60s. Squirrel Girl succeeds for me where Batgirl of Burnside failed. Okay. In that Squirrel Girl... Maintains a level of fun. Squirrel Girl maintains a level of, I don't know, post-Dan Slot acknowledgement of uh, the silliness of the Marvel Universe, which it can't retcon out because there's no uh, anti-monitor and so on. And it just, it's... um. Girl Girl, for me, succeeds in a way that Charles Soule's She-Hulk never did. She-Hulk was always too concerned with being a She-Hulk comic and its place in the publishing line and its responsibilities. Like a Punisher comic is. If you're the only Punisher comic, you have certain responsibilities. Only Garth Ennis goes, I don't give a shit about Punisher comics. Like, we're doing this. Yeah. And so Squirrel Girl gets to go, I don't give a shit about, you know, like Captain America being old. Uh, we're doing this. And it's just, you know, and it's not it's not the most original thing because Squirrel Girl Friday has fought with Doctor Doom every other issue of this comic book through two volumes. It should end with them getting married. Like, that should be the big surprise is that, that Doctor Doom's going to give up and marry Squirrel Girl and it's just going to be creepy and... You know, like, have people pissed off that you do a Woody Allen, not that you do a Mel yeah, Gibson, right? Underage. Like, <sighs> wow, okay. So, and, um, okay, so, 
Let me let me just say this now that I'm being really offensive. Um, for some people, for more people than there are people who feel the way comic book fans feel, Captain America being a Nazi agent is like if Batman were actually a pedophile. But he is. Shut up, Vernon. You're not helping this. Okay? So just think about it like that. There are a million of us. There's 10 million of them. There are 20 million of them. Like, right. we think it's dumb. We know that Doug Monk wrote a story where, no, Dr. Reina just, like, accused him of that. And that wasn't really what was going on. It's actually okay. And he's not a pedophile. And, you know, he's, he's definitely straight. We don't, it doesn't matter. To the 10 million people, they don't care. All right. So that's that's the equivalent. That's actually the equivalent. Like, that's... You know how awful it is for Captain America to be a racist if you're not a white male. Like, that really sucks, right? Like, <laughs> that's that's like Superman telling, like, Jonathan Kent, no, nah, man, I love Jor-El more because he could have fucking flown if he lived here. You human <laughs> piece of shit. You know, like... I loved him more. Like, yeah. we never want to see that, all right? It, it, <laughs> anyway, so Squirrel Girl, really good book. Um, uh, outrageously, uh, what is it, outsider like comic in the Marvel Universe? I it mean, is, and it's like they're being left alone, which is fucked up. Like, if Squirrel Girl all of a sudden fronted Star Comics 2017, Marvel's I believe it. Right. Yeah. Marvel slash Disney has an outrageous push right now towards female comics. I shit thee not. There's like 12 of them right now. And you can't keep up with all of them, but Squirrel Girl is one of those anomalies where you can just like pick up an issue and just enjoy it. Like, yeah, and I mean, well, because because Ryan North does so much fun. Like, all right, I'm just going to be honest. I don't read his uh, annotations anymore. I don't have time. No, no. I mean, Squirrel Girl is the most narratively ambitious comic outside of Providence right now. Like, he's got. Wow. He's, he, has to, he has annotations on every single page. He's got another, he's got like the subtext going in annotations. It's crazy. It's so much work. I just like, <sighs> I hope he gets appreciated for it someday. And I'll even read Squirrel Girl, even though Erica Henderson said stupid things. Just like, we'll talk about Brandon Graham in a second. But, because <clears throat> I'm a, uh, I don't know. Vernon doesn't. Vernon doesn't give a shit about social media. He doesn't give a shit about like. I'm deliciously unplugged. He's unplugged, and he doesn't realize that this thing has gotten so big that it's just like. What thing? Uh, you know, he's just like, come in, buy your fucking Rob Liefeld cable variant, you bastard. His arm is metal. You can rub it. You know what? I don't need to be plugged in. My customers are all plugged in. You're plugged in. I listen to you guys. I'm good to go. That's all I, I have time for. Right. Anyway, I, we're, we're going to plug one of the one of the last comics. We, we we're done near the end here. Uh, circuit Breaker, Kyle Baker's. Unusual. What? What? There's a yeah. Kyle Baker book out now that I'm not. It was on the list. Yeah, I, I know it's on the list, Vernon. I know. I. I didn't read new comics for six months because we haven't been doing this and I had to catch up and I didn't do any new books. Hey, well, then I deliver this without spoilers. All right. Anyway, 
Anyway, Kyle Baker's uh, four-issue miniseries, Circuit Break, just debuted with its second issue. It's it's a bit of a hard sell for those of you. It's it's, it's an Astro Boy homage. It's a post-apocalyptic homage. It's a Magnus robot fighter homage. And Kyle Baker does it with a plume. And it is it looks like quick drawings on a Mac tablet sometimes, but... It's just this really honestly told story of a young robot girl who's trying to survive in post-apocalyptic future society where everybody hates robots, and she's a robot in secret that has to guard humans against other robots. (laughs) It really is good stuff. It's very unique. It's very niche stuff. Kyle Baker is easily one of the best cartoonists working on the fringe uh, in uh, comic society today. When when he does something, we should really be happy. I, I hate to like kneel at the tomb of the maker here, but this is fun stuff. Um, get the trade if nothing else. But the uh, first two issues are out, and these are just really good stories about a young uh, robot girl who's trying to fit into a society, hide as well as save humans from robots as they both teeter back and forth in the balance between advancement and destruction. Just great typical Japanese stuff regurgitated by American Kyle Baker in his wonderful cartoony style, which lends itself both in the balance between artistic modernity, excuse me, modernity and old Astro Boy manga. Who's the Astro Boy manga guy? Uh, Hold on. How about... Uh oh, God, Vernon! Ah. Oh, that. Okay, um, hold on. It's <laughs> uh, okay. Yes, two hours into this, I've got to pronounce a Japanese name. All right, it's Tezuka Osamu. Yes, there you go. Thank you, thank you. Anyway, now you know, really good stuff. Uh, you really got to take your time. You know, go slap your fucking local. If we use that word f bomb again, sorry about that, kids. Um. Your local comics retailer, slap him around, ask him what it's about, and just buy the comic. I mean, you know, this is good stuff. Andrew's going to come back in the next review and just throw me a new set of balls because he didn't know about this one, but sorry about that, kids. I can't keep up. Um, so next up, we're going to talk about um, E-R-O-P-H-E-T. We're going to talk about Brandon Graham. All right, I'm going to just say something else here um, since I'm on my rant and I've just been away for six months and I've been reading a bunch of great stuff and it's just like you... I've never been the... um, I've never been the X-Men fan. Uh, I've never been on the... um, Never been that interested in the zeitgeist of what is popular in comics, I guess, like at least as, as far as sales or you had to get me to read um, Green Lantern War or whatever the fuck that was six years ago. And that was seven years ago. That was good. Like, that was good superhero comics. Right? Like, right. Jeff Johns got to make a fucking Green Lantern movie that was shit. And it based on this comic that you don't even remember anymore. Like, Blackest Night. No. Something not black as night. The thing before that, like something after it. I don't know. But you made me read it and it was, you know, it was great superhero stuff in the modern era. But 
you know, I, I don't read that stuff anymore. Like, I don't, I don't get to read all gang G's, but I certainly, I, I don't. That's not where my interest is. That's not where I think the medium is growing. So it's really fucking upsetting when somebody like Brandon Graham who edits books for image, who has his own micro-imprinted image, who gets creators their start at image, does just something douchey. And we're just going to use the word douchey because it's the word that it is. But we get to use the word douchey. Yeah, because we've got the adult advisory label on. Douchebag. Douchebag. Brandon Graham is a douchebag. <gasps> he put so I don't know if I think I told you about this. Like when Joan Hilty joined Image, Brandon Graham went on Twitter and he's like, <clears throat> "What it's like to find out you work for people who hired the woman who turned you down for seven years straight." Ouch! And I, he deleted it, but it's just like I saw it. And I was just like, "He's fucking talking about Joan Hilty." Joan Hilty just landed. On, Fuck yeah, we love Joan Hilty. Like, you know, Joan Hilty's why Image can sell this shit. Like, like she made comics. Um, she created the college age comic reader in a way. She created the person who in college could get into comics. How about that? No, Sandman, no. that sort of shit. Um, the Swamp Thing, Alan Moore, right? Okay. Then he just posted the other day, um, he's like, I don't know why everybody's saying there's all this negative reaction to the next Ghostbusters movie. All I've ever seen is people saying there's negative reaction, never the actual negative reaction. Okay, the Ghostbusters thing has reached the point of absurdity that you can't, you can't it's not like Catwoman the movie anymore. You can't sort of just be like, oh yeah, they screwed that up. No, 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 no. There really are guys out there who are spending 30 minutes publishing their rant against the Ghostbusters movie without any, because it's a bunch of chicks. It's fucking lame. Get over it, okay? Ghostbusters is what would have happened in 1998 if the internet had been as big with Star Wars Episode One. Like, it, you know, like, no, it's not your fucking childhood. It was, you know, it was a Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd movie. Like, it's, get over you, it. Get over it. You gotta stop being fucking stupid. So see Brandon Graham, this guy who, like, gives all these creators a chance, and, you know, he's the anti-Joan Hilty doing this. I'm just like, you know you have people who believe this. Like, you know you have, like, 35 people who just, like, you know, hang on your every word. Ouch. It's just, I'm sorry. Like, you know, don't be a, don't be a fucking dick. Like, don't try to be a dick. Like, there's... This kind of thing is, like, you can still be funny. You don't have to be a dick to be funny. Like, it's... Mark Wade is going... Well, that's the other thing, is it's all these people going, well, you can't tell me that... <laughs> Batman Superman isn't shit because it's just building towards something. And if, if I've got to wait for Captain America to finish up, why... Why don't why don't we wait to see where Batman Superman finishes up instead of Mark Wade having a public, you know, martyrdom over it? You know, it's just like why do you fucking care? So Brandon Graham throwing his hat in this ring just bothers me because 
he has the potential of being a... Brandon Graham does really eclectic shit. Prophet Earth War? Yes. The first issue did not impress. It wasn't as bad as the last two issues of Prophet, <laughs> but it did not impress. But they finally had that fucking issue. They had Die Hard and Ren having their chaste, tragic romance of just like passionless looks. Just fucking, you know, British, miserable Jade Austin, just whatever. Like, whatever the hell that is. They did it. They can still do it. They still have the ability to do it. Right, 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 right. Yeah, they still have the power. It's, it's, it's really (sighs) fascinating. Earth War is, it's like a roller coaster ride because it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. You know what? We only got two more to go, you fucks. All right. are we going to go anywhere with this? You know, because this this is gonna this is pretty much gonna either keep me interested in you, Brandon Graham, or we're gonna cut it off the balls. That's what we're gonna be at this point. You know, you're either gonna do it or you're not. Six issues. He can't at this point. It's gonna end with a fucking cliffhanger for the next series, which in theory would have been fine if they'd done this the whole time. But that's not how profit worked. Profit no. just was magic every month until the last three issues. You know, and like, then, that's, that's an unusual anomaly of series publishing where you can just say, if they kept on publishing just like mere profit, they could have just published it when they wanted to, when it was ready, and, and had the content they wanted to, and it didn't necessarily have to add up to anything. It could have just eventually gone on indefinitely. But now we've got a, we've got a limited series, and limited series, they have to end. And profit... Which, does not end well from what we saw last time. It's it's all over the place, and uh, they have that magic still. It keeps guys like you and me still reading the book. I mean, yeah. let's face they just don't use it all the time. It's frustrating as all hell. Uh, yeah, no, like like we talk about Captain America. Like why I would never read Captain America, but I would always read. Right, now, we or, read we read the Prophet Who's Who's or whatever the hell they were called. Yeah. Remember that. Huh. Encyclopedia Prophet. Yeah, it's fuck? just like, why the hell are we reading this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't talk about limited attention span. I, I could read that. Fuck. But anyway, we're going to finish up. We're going to finish up with Avatar this evening. Uh, two of the better releases from uh, a little publisher in uh, Southern Illinois, of all places. A and, garage, uh, I believe. Yeah, no, I think a comic book store initially. Started Avatar. I really don't know for sure. I have to look at my. Is that Wikipedia? Uh, somebody Wikipedia. look that up for Vernon and tell him about it. Don't help me out. He's got a I mean, smartphone now, but he doesn't want to use it for that. Nah, I just I don't have the time. I'm really sorry. But uh, Avatar as a publisher, they um they've done well. If you've been a regular practitioner of our uh, podcasts, as it were. Andrew and I have been big fans of Providence. It's it's one dark read. Um, it's not for everybody. It's it's a masterpiece of uh, a really dark, macabre traits of mind. And number nine had different effects. Wait a second. What? what? Number nine comes out tomorrow. You can't Oops. talk about it. Wait, wait. Don't we have nine? No, that comes out tomorrow, Vernon. You you All sell right, comic books, you go pick them up early. <laughs> they don't just Santa Claus does not deliver them 
number eight. We're not watching The Prisoner with Pat McGlewin here. <laughs> All right, Providence number eight. Uh, good enough. Uh, what do you call it? It's, it's, I don't know, how do you say it? Like, it's not a disturbing issue, although some customers found it disturbing. I found it. It was a relief after, the, I mean, like. Yeah, after the events of earlier, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the thing. And um, Matt Hurwitz, uh, who also writes at the comicsfondle.com occasionally, uh, he and I are going are gonna to kind of do an intro to Providence Act 3 uh, podcast, hopefully uh, this weekend, because it is that dense that it, it, there's enough to talk about. But one of the things about Providence is that it's it's Alan Moore doing that sort of it's 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 a mix of top ten and Promethea in terms of tones of Alan Moore. It's like, ooh, I can do really out there, but I can do really commercial too. You know, like remember Swamp Thing? Yeah, you're and it's just like it's both the mainstream and the end of all things. Right. Like, oh well, look what I can do. And it's just it's kind of the th- I mean, like if League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Volume Two had been like that tone, it would have been amazing, but it wasn't. Um, so, Alan Moore is moving. We've moved. We're, we're dealing with the narrator being in on the fact that he's in a really screwed up situation, and part of it is, and we've also introduced Lovecraft at this point. You know, like, Providence is this huge Lovecraft homage with more trying to uh, negotiate the more problematic aspects of Lovecraft as a, um, outside of his work, so to speak. Like, the whole reason the protagonist is gay is, is, is a fuck you to Lovecraft. It's a love letter that starts with, hey, fuck you, this guy's gay, by the way. He's gay, and he thinks you're cute. You know, it's just like, it's so weird. And if you've stayed up on Alan Moore sort of um, trivia, as is practically a subset of comics fandom, um, it, it it's interesting because he's talked about this at length and he's delivering on everything he talked about. Like, how often does that happen? Like, that didn't happen with Lost Girls. I still haven't read it. <laughs> when, when, I have to say when I read when I read Providence number eight, like you know, you're always scared going into it as for what the what the fuck's going to happen. There's that right. um, I, this was strangely reassuring to me because I was along for the ride, as it were. Especially when we got to the uh, stairwell of cats part, I was like, God, I just want cats the to take me to heaven. Stairwell, man. <laughs> <sighs> that that is just. <laughs> It's just so weird because, like, you read Neonomicon and you're like, Alan Moore's like, I'm doing this to pay my taxes this year. And then it turns out to be this great book. But it also sort of, it's, it, Moore finds a way, Moore and Burroughs, because you can't, Burroughs has reached the point where if he ever does anything else, it's going to be a disappointment. Like, if Burroughs does something at DC, like, you know, Burroughs could fucking... get to do a DC... Well, I don't know. Bur- Burroughs could relaunch... Okay, Burroughs could relaunch Swamp Thing with a writer I like. And it would still be a disappointment compared to this. Because they have reached a sort of... Um, 
You know, Burroughs' yeah. clean style is just perfect for Moore's instruction. You know, it's just yeah. he knows how to draw focus where he needs to draw focus without changing the depth. Right, it's just it's yeah. just great. But Neonomicon introduced the idea that what if these Lovecraftian monsters, you know, they're still life forms. They still, you know, they still have their own culture. They still have their own things. And I mean, that's like the weirdest thing about Providence because I just read the first three issues in the um, collection again, or four issues, whatever it was. And you don't read it. I mean, do you remember the issue where he ends up on the bus with all the fish people and you think like, holy shit, like he just called them out. What are they going to do to him? The first time you read it, you're like, what the hell are they going to do to him? This time I read it and I I did not feel that at all. I didn't feel any malice from them. And it's just very comfortable. It's just such an interesting way of presenting this. It's a way of presenting monstrosity and horror without it, it. It's not even making evil benign. It's making evil, you know, a description or something. You know, it's like it's just so weird how he's doing it, and it's just it's just so amazing to see. Um, it's it's his most successful work in years. Nothing in. Nothing in America's Best Comics was this successful. Right. Yeah, because he's free to go wherever he wants with this. And uh, you're right, Jason Burroughs is just perfect for his vision, perfectly complementing all the like little details and not, and just leaving everything else out and just concentrating on that. Yeah. And it's like a dream-like, whether it goes from dream, it goes from dream to nightmare in like a heartbeat and back and forth. And that's probably one of the things that attracts me as a comics reader is that I don't know where I'm going to go. I just know well, it's going to be exciting as shit. And it's so interesting that it comes from Avatar. It's so interesting that it comes from a a company that, you know, crossed was all gore. It was good. All, it was great. All gore. Yeah. But it was gore. And Avatar started as gore. They started with that the crappy Night of the Living Dead license, right? And it was all gore until Crossed. And then Cross showed you could do gore, and it, they've sort of reinvented the horror comic. Nobody else is doing this kind of thing. Right. They were always known as the publisher that would go where no one else would go. Right. So, no matter who you were, Warren Ellis, uh, Grant uh, uh, Morrison, but not Grant Morrison. No, I think Grant Morrison did have an Avatar book in the early days. I think he did. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, they've come along. I mean, they've been around for ten or twelve years now, and they've actually found a really solid niche. I mean, putting out minded to death because if you look at any of their books, they all sell at least as well as the poorest selling DCs. And for some place out of Rantoul, Illinois, that's quite an accomplishment. It is. It is, (laughs) and they built that. They built that on the back of a freaking. Living Dead license, like, <sighs> yeah, it's 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 truly amazing. Like like we were talking about earlier, you know, there's just so many ways that comics can be published, and you know, we we don't we only live here in America. Imagine what's happening elsewhere in the mm-hmm. world right now. You know what I mean? That we have no idea of what's going on, or 
anything like that. Like, you know, you just say, oh, Scotland, they're getting some copies over to England of this thing, and it's an amazing thing, and we don't have any idea because we just don't have any idea, you know? Right. Well, anyway, they're, they're, to finish up with the Avatar, their anthology, uh, Cinema Purgatorio, am I pronouncing Cinema that? Cinema Purgatorio. It's, it's not just Avatar's anthology. It's Alan Moore's Avatar horror anthology with Is a movie theme. theme. Yes. It's, that's a whole thing that's all movie themed okay no 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 just his thing he and kevin o'neill i mean that's like the interesting thing about Moore is that he's never gonna i don't think we're ever gonna see more do like some ironic marvel man or miracle man knockoff but more is more than willing to joke about the idea that when you think about movies and comic books for a certain subset, Alan Moore comes up because he's the guy who, when comic book movies were superhero movies, said, "Nah, I got no interest in that." Okay, <laughs> like, I'm not. I'm not going to help you make V for Vendetta work. I'm not going to help you make Watchmen work. You got to read the comic, right? Like right. I, I got no interest in that, etc. So that that makes it sort of an odd. Um, approach to an anthology, but then you see the creators that are on this, and it's um, it's kind of a murderer's row of Avatar. It is, but it's uh, it's the murderer's row of the best of Avatar, I guess you'd say. It's um, Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. That's the first time Kevin O'Neill did it. Uh, did an Avatar, as far as I know, and they sort of do the movie one. Um, Eastone Cops versus Endless Mayhem. Yeah, it's it's very, very weird. I mean, and that's sort of the weird thing is it's Alan Moore showing off his knowledge of film. He's really, right, that, that's the thing. When you when you read this, when, there's really not much of a script. There's probably a very detailed script, but it's not evident when you go through the comic because it, it's pretty much wordless. It's an old silent Keystone Cops film mm-hmm. parody. And it goes into other levels of mayhem and violence that, are just surreal and graphic and violent and hilarious all in one. I mean, it's it's truly uh, quite a piece de resistance just yes. to meet a thing with. And I, I enjoyed it immensely. And then there's... Um, then there is... What do we got? We got Garth Ennis and Raul Caceres continuing Code Prue. Which was a two-issue series about witchcraft. Very funny, Garth Ennis. Very it, weird. And it goes in a different direction. Yeah, and now he's changing it up her, a bit. Her flat with her roommates anymore. She's on the job. Yeah, now. it's very better. weird, um, but but still kind of cool. And Caceres is a very good horror, black and white horror artist. Right. Um, and then we've got Modded with uh, Kieran Gillen writing and Ignacio Calero on art. I, I I don't remember that one. What was it? That was the, was that the one with the the, the girls with their own familiar uh, like creatures or something like that that battle off against the dude and everything like that. M- maybe I don't I don't know. <laughs> Um, it was fine, you know, it was, it was pretty good, and then there's, um, Perfect Sounds Union. Sounds like pandering, but it isn't, folks. Yeah, I mean, it's very, I mean, it's like a very solid anthology. I can't remember the last time I've seen such a solid anthology. The Civil War story was just really unusual. Yeah. 
And uh, I, I, I'm trying to think. The one with the uh, Japanese movie monsters. Christos Gage and Gabriel Andrade. Yeah, that, that was yeah. probably the most conventional for me. Yeah. But still, you know what? It complemented the rest of it. You know, I recently read Grant Morrison's uh, Heavy Metal and this thing beats the shit out of that because it's a fully successful drag you into it introduction into science fiction and fantasy and all that no kind of stuff. And yeah, it's and just you're right into it. In, it's, in, it's far more accessible than Avatar's other books. It's far more accessible than Crossed. Um, right, right, because it doesn't go to the uh, the nth level for those. Right, people. it's it's so. very much Alan. It's it's just weird. It's Alan Moore doing something very welcoming, and that's one of the things you forget about with him as a writer is that he's not actually. He's never off-putting. He never is exclusionary. He always wants people to read comics. You know, that's true about Alan Moore. Like, he explores a lot of different genres and levels of uh, maturity, as it were. <laughs> but it's never never to, like, find a niche audience, always to get you to read his books. Yeah. it's it's, it's just And it's really cool to see it come to the equivalent of 70s horror comic. Like... Yeah. It's very neat. It's and I think that Avatar's got a good audience. Um a reasonably good I think Avatar readers are more uh sympathetic to an anthology than well certainly anybody else. I mean, you know, the thing that, that this was really a pretty good like anthology. I mean yeah. tend to be really mixed bags. And this thing really, like, even its least offering was better than in heavy metal with right. Grant and you know. So I, I highly recommend Cinema Purgatorio, and I'm sure you do too. You know? I do. Whew. But there we go. Did we clock him in tonight, kiddo? Two and a half hours. Oh Two my and a half hours of comics. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. It makes, well, you know, we haven't done this for... It may, you know, like Six we months. may die tomorrow, so it may not happen again. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, who knows? All <laughs> oh, that, and we got to schedule it. Yeah, we so, better schedule one. We'll talk. Thank Mind you for joining us for the the quarterly uh, and late, the very late but quarterly comics final podcast. Um, With the elite meet to greet, as we like to say. Yes, uh, we talked about a bunch of good books, bunch of. The, Comics are exciting again. It's, uh, you just need to know where to look, I guess would be really, the way to You put really got to look. You got to take time out. Like, no matter what creative art it is, you got to take time and dig and learn any information and find out where it's at because, you know, it's not the stuff they're feeding you, it's the stuff that you go look for. And then, uh, we were going to talk media, but Vernon's behind on movies. I'm not all caught up on TV, so maybe we'll do a media special. Yeah, that would be good. We'll the do next a media time, special next time, time yeah. Special, right, we'll just skim over the comics a little bit and talk about because I'm a TV guy and you're more of a movie guy, so yeah. we'll see what happens in the middle. Yeah, it's not like we're going to be reading any uh, DC or Marvel over the summer. Oh, are you kidding me? Rebirth is happening, motherfucker, and there's that F word again. Uh, 
I have to read all the number ones plus another level rebirth ones and then regular number ones. Can see this is when you need to start the comics uh, gallery blog because I did this with New Fifty Two. You're going to be stuck reading them anyway. Just saw my head off now. You just need to go home and tell your kid you wanted Twitter and she needs help. You set it up. That'll just make her night, Vernon. The last thing I need for business is to set up another social media account. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of social media, we'll take that as a segue. Check out... um, Check out facebook.com backslash the comics gallery, comics with an X. That's where uh, Vernon's got shop information and we have all sorts of comics news information. And don't forget to sign up for your uh, your new uh, journal. Oh, yes. And I've got the uh, the Comics Best Fondled newsletter of comicsfondled.com. the uh, first uh, volume, as it were, is going to look at uh, Love and Rockets and some uh, Alan Moore and Josh Dysart works uh, throughout the, uh, I guess, four issues. I guess that's what I'm doing this summer is reading a bunch of comics. But, uh, yeah, check that out. Well, Andrew is the uh, master of concise comics political analysis, so uh, don't miss that. And as far as I'm concerned, you can just come in and come to my shop and listen to me ran rave. Vernon's <laughs> <laughs> got a variant to sell you. Yeah, here it comes, baby. Bend over. All right. <laughs> On that note, I guess we're done for the night. Um, we love you too, Pilgrim. Yep. Read better comics, everybody. And uh, maybe we'll even watch Preacher for the next episode. Uh, that would be nice. I'll, yeah, I'll... we'll subject ourselves to uh, Seth Rogen. <laughs> yes, ah. Indeed. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>